Welcome to the Rugby Bits podcast brought to you by bet.co.za. Thanks for listening. Wherever you listen to your podcast, please subscribe, drop us a like or a five-star rating so that we can share this podcast with the rugby world. And please also visit the bet.co.za website for any deals and, and markets that they offer, the URC for Premiership and for the top 14. My name is Tala and I'm with Sean today and we only with Sean today, unfortunately, because of load shedding. Today, we are going to, first of all, look, we're going to obviously do first phase. Then we're going to look at round six of the rugby championship matches. And then we're going to do quite a big review and sort of a state of affairs for especially the Springboks, but also looking at the other rugby championship competitors. And then we'll also look at the end at um, just what's going on in, in, in the other um, domestic competitions. Sean, sure, let's start off with first phase as we usually do. And today's first phase was actually relatively inspired by um, a tweet from Audi Sevilla to LeBron James. LeBron James being obviously the famous basketball player. LeBron is maybe toying with the idea of playing another sport beside basketball and seeing if he can do that in the American um, college system. And Audi Sevilla has definitely invited him to has invited him to play some rugby. And I mean, seeing LeBron at blindside flank with Audi Sevilla at eight would be a terrifying prospect. So yeah, the first phase question this week is which famous sports person would you want to see play and in which position? Sean, what are your top picks? Hi, my man. It's great to chat to you. And uh, this, I, I love this, uh, this first phase. So I actually, um, I have two and they're a little, a little um, off the, the mainstream sports, but one, um, um, I picked a um, ice hockey player and I had a couple to pick from, but Basically, any NHL defenseman, I reckon, you could pick and you could zap them at blindside flanker. I mean, you're going to have a big, hard, absolute beast just sitting there that's willing to crush people all day, which is really what you want. Um, so that was, that was the one. And the other um, was um, my open side flanker. I was looking at um, putting a professional climber or anyone that's in the climbing community. So like if you think about climbers and their, their hands and their, ar- their arms and their shoulders, so they're obviously going to be a little bit more mobile. They're quite lean. But a climber, once he holds onto you, <laughs> once he gets over that ball, he's not going to go anywhere. Like you will never, <laughs> there's no way. He's like a limpet. Like he's going to stick to you like glue. So and, and like, you know, when the guys burst through the tackles and you get a hand on, on the guy and you're dragging behind, that's basically like what's going to happen. The guy's going to just crush you with his hands. So those are, those are the two that I thought of instinctively. But we had some incredible responses on Twitter. Yeah, I, I was going to try to see if I can do a little bit of a, a 15 um, with, 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 um, with some of the people that we've um, got. So I'll, I'll try to run through it position by position. But I think that um, um, Tommy Freeman was posted by the Rugby Bits, um, where, Tommy, sorry, Coldwell was posted by Rugby Bits website. And just looking at him and I did a small Google, like, yeah, Sean, you're definitely right. I mean, him, like, is going to be like a little, like, um, what do you call those? Um, leech is going to be like a leech on a board when he yes. gets on it. And it's going to be very difficult to move him. And of course, he's very sinewy. And then with the hockey players being blindside flanks and, Obviously, we know blindside flanks are usually the masters of the dark arts. I mean, that's perfect. Um, Sean, you're definitely the ice hockey expert between the two of us, but I'm sure there's definitely a, a ton of them that could um, 
su- supplement the the US or the Canadian teams, uh, rugby teams, if they switch sports. Yeah, and I mean, the, the Russians, um, uh, oh, yes. like the Scandinavian countries too. But I mean, I tell you, the one guy that I actually wanted to pick was Patrick Waugh, who played, he was a goalkeeper for the Avs, and I couldn't quite like factor putting a goalkeeper in but he was big and uncompromising and he was badass I mean, he 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 won the Stanley cup with them as a player um but also um he coached the avs afterwards as well but he's someone i'm definitely don't want to run into the hockey goalkeepers take a bit of punishment but he was uh, he was a special kind of crazy as well uh, over and above that so um yeah they're pretty mean yeah speaking of mean good segue um al mcfarlane has suggested mike tyson for hooker i thought that was the best (laughs) that was one of the there were two it was the the mike tyson and the eric Cantona one i was just like that's brilliant mike tyson had hooker i mean there's shades of bullet of bullet there eh? james dalton (laughs) copy paste (laughs) i mean yeah like can he win you a game yes can you get out with a red card yes like can can he lose you can he lose you a game and be banned for 15 weeks absolutely (laughs) <laughs> there's definitely all sorts of possibilities if you put iron mike tyson in the middle of your front row but i mean obviously you know like in the 80s and 70s before like rugby got a bit more regulated and 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 um sorted out there's a lot of punching in between the front rows and the locks and all that sort of stuff imagine catching a, a hook there from mike tyson jeez oh man you just gotta hope the nice thing about him being at hooker is, is you can see you can see when he takes his bind off. You know, you just want to make sure you just want to make sure that he's properly bound before anything happens. Because if he's not properly bound, you know you're going to be sleeping very soon. <laughs> I think then the other or the prop that was added was from Mitch Rev Evans, obviously a friend of the pod, um, has appeared on our pod before. Um, I actually probably need to invite him just to talk us through about what's happening with Dave Rennie. But he does. He suggested Nick Kyrgios for prop, but I think he just wants to want to, wants him to get sorted out. Yeah, that's that's interesting, eh? Um, <laughs> I mean, I think that's more put him at prop, but uh, yeah, that probably more of a personal prop. vendetta there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's also got the mentality. I mean, like it'll be great for him to be in. Imagine, <laughs> just imagine the verbal abuse up front. <laughs> oh, yeah. probably, oh, it'd be crazy. I mean, imagine Kyrgios is at flank, let's say. He can speak, or actually at scrum off, and he is talking absolute rubbish. And then he can just um, poke Mike Tyson and just be like, hey, sort him out if, if anyone comes, comes to him. Yeah. That would, yeah, I think that would be a good one-two combo. The locks are quite interesting. Um, Harry Jones um, suggested Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder um, to be second row partners. I don't know yes. if they'll be fighting between them or if they can unite forces and fight other people, but that that's obviously brilliant. Titanic. That's like love hate. Like they'll fight each other on the field, but the minute you pick a fight with either one of them, the other one's supporting, you know what I mean? <laughs> that it's like a sibling, like a sibling rivalry. I almost see it, but yeah. I mean, that, that, that's basically like having two fours on your field. You, you don't mm-hmm. have, you don't have a, a five. You've got two fours just absolutely slogging away for days. Yeah, maybe the the one boxer could be the four, and then the five could be one of the NBA players. So quite a few NBA players suggested here. Um, the legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar used to play for the LA Lakers in the 80s. You have um, LeBron James, obviously the, the person we talked about earlier. Um, you have Giannis Antetokounmpo, who um, was world champion, or the NBA champion, not world champion, 
um, last year. And yeah, he's also just tall and like just muscular and, you know, you, you, and, and very athletic. I mean, those, I mean, we've talked about this, I think many times and people have definitely like thought about this, but if you could have those NBA and NFL players play rugby, they would absolutely cause havoc. Mm. They just combine that speed and power and size. And yeah, I would not want to get in, in between those people and the try line. Yeah, it would be it would be crazy. But I mean, obviously, American sports are, are just very visible to so much of the world. But there are so many other sports in the world that yeah. like people just don't see where there's absolute animals involved. Um, yeah. You know, there's like very like there's brutal like there, there's different types of like fighting or combat sports and like different types of wrestling and all that sort of stuff. I have a look at some of that. I'm thinking, put that guy anywhere in in Jersey four, five, six, seven, or eight, and you're golden. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of uh, brutal people, um, Brock Lesnar, the WWE and UFC fighter, put him on on open side flank. You could have like just a supersized version of David Pocock there. Or what about number twelve? Oof! Imagine. Um, imagine him running a straight line and you don't know whether he's going to get the ball or send it wide because your tens, <laughs> your tens, the greatest footballer in the world, Eric Cantona. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, Cantona, he could probably do it on his own too. But I, I think 12, when I looked at that Lesner, uh, Brock Lesnar, I was like, mm, he would be good at 12, but he is an absolute, I, I don't know, maybe blindside. He might be a bit short for blindside, but he's got the build for that. Yeah. I, he just gives me the. I mean, I guess he did play American football. If I, uh, if I remember history correctly, he was like more of a defensive player, obviously, like in the maybe a linebacker or something mm. like that. So probably a great tackler, but not the best ball skills. So maybe, yeah, you could play in the in, in, in the loose forwards possibly. So, so flank or wing then. <laughs> flank or wing, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just imagine just that sort of person, and you've got like a, a small little winger that's that's marking him. I think the only small wing at back against him is Darcy Graham. Yeah, okay. Then the scrum halves are a few basketball players again. Um, Manu Ginobili at scrum half, the former Spurs um, um, player. He's just been inducted into the Hall of Fame. You've got Chris Paul. Um, yeah, a very crafty basketball player, chatty like a substitute teacher, and there's um, an eye for where the ball should be, should be according to um, at Jacques Salier. Fly off. We've talked about Eric Cantona quite a bit. Uh, just a what do you, which which fly half do you think he'd play like the fly that you've seen? I think he would be. I think there'd be a lot of um Dan bigger about him. Like I mm. think he would. He's got some good vision, and then he would he would he would love to put some people in in place. But then he he totally has that um Bowden Bar- that kicking Bowden Barrett's like that that number 10 Bowden Barrett that does those chips and Dan Bigger does them too. You know, those little chips ahead where he goes to collect it. He yeah. always, like he always collected it. It's actually probably more Dan Bigger, but maybe a little bit more of a running Dan Bigger. But that's what I think. Like, I think he was, he's just cool, calm, collected, play the corner, sort it out, kick the ball, distribute when needed and makes good decisions. Maybe I'm doing him a disservice, but I think he'd be Dan. <laughs> I yeah I don't know maybe it's also because of his stature but I get like a lot of like Henry Onabal type of vibes from him and I oh. guess Dan Big is in that is in that class as well but 
a bit bigger, can take can take on the ball himself, but obviously has the vision to put people away. I mean, Honeyball arguably is probably near the top, or if not the the best fly half the Springboks have had since they um, readmission. Oh, and Lim. the qualities that he has as yeah. a, as an attacker are just great. He was so. He, I read that he got his nickname just because he would cut through the defense. That, mm. Those people didn't, who wrote that clearly didn't see him defend. That man was an absolute beast. I mean, he was, he was such, he was, he was like a, the, you know, those, those fly halves or those fullbacks that are just like, they, they, they bone, muscle, and sinew. Like there's no padding anywhere. Like he's just hard all over. And then he will just, and he's, and he's built like a brick. And we'll just, but he doesn't look like it. And he hits like a, like a, like a freaking ton of bricks as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, Lem, Lem's amazing, man. He's, uh, he's a machine. And I agree. I think he's probably one of the Springboks greatest tens. Like I would love to have seen uh, more of him. Yeah. The midfield is quite interesting. We've mentioned maybe having Brock Lesnar there. Another per- another person known for power, Rian Lowe has suggested, is Serena Williams at twelve. So that was a great she's obviously, yeah. So um, Rian Lowe said he um, Serena has the power and stamina to hurt any fly off on the crash for eighty minutes. The feet and the hands to go through the line untouched, and to also throw the long ball to fourteen. And I, I I can definitely agree with that. And I think she's also, I mean, she's obviously very competitive. So you can just imagine. Her, if she's like in a battle with another midfielder on the opposition side, she's going to be great. Absolutely, she like all the things, the attributes that that he mentioned about her. It's it's such a manonu um sort of mold, mm. like big and strong and can run over you, but also has the ability to with nice hands to play and then got a bit of a kicking game, um, some good feet and everything. I think that's a great shot. And then her center partner. Um, would be Muhammad Ali, according to Salman Todman. And of course, we all know about his footwork and his power and, and stamina. I, I think him as a 13, maybe not necessarily the creative force that Lukanyo Am is, but you can just imagine him just if he gets a little bit of a gap and it's obviously young Muhammad Ali, he can just gap through. He's able to dodge any tackler. You can see, you know, his yeah, ability to dodge a punch. So he would be great as a, as a center combo for with Serena Williams. Yeah, I, I must say when when that came through, I thought when Muhammad Ali and I was thinking about it, like just the the vision and also building up, like in boxing, you know, you've got to you've got to expose the weakness and then strike. And I thought he would be great at fifteen, but thirteen, I mean, you mm. also get that freedom too, you know. I think he would definitely. Yeah, I think also just that 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 um, wit and ability. I mean. Obviously, Muhammad Ali is known for some of the best lines and comebacks in, in, in sports history with his chirping. And you know, if you, ooh, <laughs> that would be that would be a lot. I think even I think a ref would probably tell him to shut up. I think there'd be a bit of like a Raynal versus Nick White type of situation there. <laughs> our our back three options are quite interesting. I mean, I think in he's in pen in the team list, and that's Usain Bolt playing at wing, so he's got the one wing for sure. Um, other people have suggested um, Cristiano Ronaldo at wing. Of course, he's known for his pace. At fullback, they I've seen a suggestion for 
this is yeah funny not funny but i see a suggestion for Vili larue but yeah i i think after his dance class <laughs> i didn't even see after his dance class taken uh, by juan martin gonzalez i think he might have to go to another sport just tyler paul williams on twitter came up with the most amazing burn ever he when mm. he spoke when he did that video when he um, mentioned that video and about what Gonzalez did to Vili he said he turned Vili Larue into a lampshade. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> brilliant. I mean, I can literally see it when I when I was watching the video. I could see exactly what he meant by it. It was it was crazy. <laughs> but that Vili chirp is uh, that's some proper trolling. A, a much more serious one is from Dalton Barker, who suggested Lamar Jackson at fullback. Um, yeah. the NFL quarterback for the Ravens. And yeah, he's got, I mean, he can't really throw forward in the sport, but yeah, he's got the ability to go long with the throw and he can run it up himself. So he's got a lot of power. I think he will, I think he'd, I'd probably even move in an inside center. Mm. I think he'd be, be quite destructive there. Maybe move Serena to, to fullback. But yeah, he would be, he'll cause a lot of like collisions there. One that I skipped over earlier was from Martin Prinsloo who suggested that um, the well-known sportsman Matt Damon could play at flank. He'd, he'd do a pretty good job there. <laughs> ah, ah, yeah, you can call him Franzo. Um, yeah, 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 I think so. <laughs> I tell you, on, on that Ronaldo, I would probably would rather have him at 15. I, mm. I, I think... His I think jumping he, ability. Yes, that, under the high ball, absolutely. But I just think, like, just his... The way he reads the game and looks at the game, I definitely, I definitely have him there. And then I'm very surprised, but I didn't, I don't think I, I didn't see it. I don't know if it was mentioned, but Tom Brady at ten is an, is a shot. Mm. And um, and the and the goat tennis player, um, uh, Federer. Uh, yeah, Fed. I would also wouldn't mind having Fed. Fed could have been a, an, a shot at ten or twelve, but. Most certainly um, at twelve, if you wanna, if you wanna have your playmaker, playmaker ten twelve, you could put Fed there. Yeah, I mean, look, we've seen all the videos this weekend um, between Federer and Nadal, so that twelve thirteen combination could also work. I mean, Federer will be the silky hands, Nadal at thirteen, and and Serena at fifteen. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. Think, that's badass. Think about that. Yeah, Djokovic could be like a, a a playmaker wing, like sort of like a James Lowe that comes in third phase, second phase, and gets the ball going too. Yeah, see, but if you think about it, having those pro tennis players putting them into a backline because they they really they they elite sportsmen, like they are super fit, yeah. they're super dedicated, they 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 continue like there's a lot of problem solving that happens in tennis and and what needs to be done, and you're doing it all on your own, you know, like that's um that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think you like, yeah, and that's a nice sort of um, thought experiment with these sort of um, questions. Like, you can see some of a lot of these skills that um, other uh, people in other sports have, and you can just be like, yes, if you can use this in rugby or if you can use this in another sport, that'd be great. Like, just the footballers and their vision for, like, obviously how they see through balls and space opening up. Like, you'd want them in your fly half or midfield and We've talked about, you know, the combat um, combat fighters and the climbers and wanting them in the forwards. Like, yeah, just merging and amalgamating all these things would be so awesome. But yeah, like the, I think with the tennis players and just how they how they've have so much fitness and, and self-discipline, I'm sure 
it's a debate for another day, but if you would ask me which sports people would make a success of another sport, I think probably the tennis people, because they're just crazy enough to, you know, just dedicate themselves to a thing and, and, and become masters in it if, if they needed to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've actually got another one and I'm, I'm busy Googling now to, to find out who the Olympic champions are. But I tell you where we've missed a, where we've missed a, a, um, a shot um, in the locking department is the uh, Olympic uh, beach volleyball. Ooh. So, I mean, if you think about that, number, maybe a number four jumper because they'll jump, they'll jump in the front. Imagine the, that, that put Ibn Etzebeth to shame with stealing, with stealing all that opposition <laughs> ball. I think so. I mean, even have you, have you watched handball in the Olympics? Yes. Yes. I would love those people in, in the rugby. There, now, there's some great, there's some uh, people that could probably make the integration pretty good because from a physicality point of view, but also, I mean, it's a, is a, considered a contact sport. But mm. um, I think that would be not such a bad, uh, a, a bad sort of switch, or I think it'll be an easier switch. Yeah. And then that probably might be the way to get those like Eastern European countries more into rugby as well. Like they have, obviously they control that um, sport usually. <laughs> but Sean, I think let us transition into um, actual matters of the field. We had the last round of the rugby championship. Earlier in the day, we're going to discuss it a little bit later, but earlier in the day we had New Zealand play Australia in the second Bledisloe Cup game. We're hoping that Australia could win or at least keep the score down. They did none of those things. And New Zealand won 40 points to 14. And then the South Africans were left with 39 um, to, to make up a 39 points differential. So they had to win by 39 points or more in order to win the rugby championship. Almost got there um, in one sense because they scored 38 points, but unfortunately Argentina scored 21. So it's, yeah, it, it became quite clear, I think, during the middle of the second half that the box wouldn't get there, unfortunately, when Argentina had a ascendancy of the game. But I think let's just talk about the game in general. Um, Sean, we and uh, the Rugby Bits um, page did talk about what, what they would need to do in order to win. And we basically talked about that the Sackers, the, the Springboks don't need to do anything different and um, throw the ball around or anything like that. What they need to focus on is just grind them down. And with Argentina, they, they do tend to lose it in the last 20 minutes and then they can sort of pile the points on, which kind of happened because Savko's only 24-21 up um, in the last 10 minutes and then they scored the, the, the final two tries. But, Sean, yeah, what was your general sense of the game? Do you think we got a little bit in between two things of trying to win but also trying to, to chase the bonus point? Because even with the decisions about kicking to touch and not accumulating points possibly um, bit us in the back at the end. Absolutely. I think we put the cart before the horse. Um, we, we had a lot of, um, we had a lot of changes and disruptions. We also had that pressure of not only just having to win the game, but having to win the game by a certain margin, which in hindsight, I mean, we all were hoping it could happen on the day, but a tier one versus a tier one side to win by plus 39 points um, is un. It's very unusual, especially if it's planned for. Sometimes you'll get a team on a bad day and you will be having a great game and then you'll absolutely slam them. Um, it, we, we've, we've beaten the Argentinians that way, I think it was in 2013. You know, we beat them by 70-odd points or whatever. So 
I think we got ahead of ourselves. I think we were chasing it the wrong way around where we, we really were on top as, as much as we were not executing well, we were, we were so on top of that game in the first 20 minutes. It was crazy, but we kept making silly errors. We missed kicks to touch. Uh, we, we made very few kicks of nine and 10, but specifically of nine, which I was so surprised about. I, I haven't had a chance to rewatch, but I don't recall more than three kicks from Jaden Hendricks uh, from what I remember, yeah. but I could be very yeah. wrong. But he, a couple of them were, the ones that he did kick were not accurate. Franz Stein wasn't kicking accurately. And I think we fizzled out. We, we had all, all the signs were there. We were dominating. We were all over them. The Argentinians got warned. They got yellow cards. There were penalty tries. We really, we, we had everything there. We just put the recipe together wrong. I, I really feel. And I think taking the points, I think kicking to the corner and just working them and just going, we should have been boring for 50 minutes, like boring, like so much so that everyone would have bitched and moaned about it, but we would have had a 20 odd point lead. And then we start changing it up. And then we, we get the bonus point, then we chase the PD. And I think we were chasing the PD and bonus point at the same time without really setting a foundation. Yeah, I think that's very accurate um, summation of what happened in the game. Let's maybe start with, I think, what went well. And I think the, 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 the positives from the game are probably numbers one to eight, the, the single digits of, of, of the team. Uh, I think you can't really ask for much more of a performance from the, the Springbok forwards in that game. Um, as you said, we controlled the rolling mall um, as far as possible. We controlled the scrums, especially in the first half. We'll talk about the second half because the, the, Australia, the Argentinians sorry, bit back and they bit back hard, especially in the rolling mall. But the forwards did their job in terms of you know winning set piece, forcing penalties in, in, in the scrum, um, getting... Um, people yellow carded in the, in the rolling mall and they put all the pressure on. And I think the forwards can definitely pat themselves on the back. And Jasper Visa's collected, I think, his second or third um, man of the match of the season as well. He's really been, he's really been great. And I find it quite surprising that there are so many people on social media still talking about um, how, talking about him like he's not going to be around for another four or five years. Um, it's quite odd. <laughs> I really f- I find it yeah. odd. Um, Sean, yes. Just very quickly, do you think people think Jasper Visa's thirty? Because I genuinely think that's the issue. Because maybe it's I think they don't. Yeah, it's the moustache. Because I don't think they consider him in the same age group as Ivan Rus. And I've also been a, a a victim of this. And I was like, okay, Jasper Visa. I mean, I've heard of his name for a while, so he must be close to thirty. So yeah a transition period for one or two years after Dwayne. And then you're like, oh, he's actually only like four or whatever years he's older 26. than Bruce. He's 26. Yeah. And, and I mean, the thing is, he's, he's 26. He's playing the best rugby of his life. He did it in, in the premiership as well. He was cooking in the premiership. And now he's cooking at test level. For a guy who is relatively inexperienced at, at test level, his, his growth has been remarkable. And uh, people, uh, South Africans are always after the next best thing. And they <laughs> always believe there's someone else on the, um, on, on the, on the line waiting. And even mm-hmm. if there's someone there, they, they're happy to try and put someone else in, but then they're also very happy to discard you. 
Now, we find that the guy, the fans are happy to discard players when they play badly, but I find it so odd that people are trying to get rid of Visser when he's playing so well. I, I really do find it bizarre. But having said that, I, I love that we have options. So we have the ability to tinker with a game plan, move stuff around. But on the topic of Evan Ruiz, I think that Evan Ruiz has got to have another great URC season, like, like off the charts great, because it's quite clear that it's Dwayne Vermeulen who's on his way out-ish, and I say that just purely because he's going to retire soon. Visa is most certainly the front runner for the number eight jumper or, or the number eight jumper. And then Ulrich Lowe played at eight. And Ulrich Lowe fits in what we in South African rugby require at our eight, who can cover four and maybe lock. So I'll be interested to see what they do. Um, maybe Ruiz will come in and, 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 cover, and cover off the bench. And I, I don't think Ruiz is terrible, and I don't think he's not a springbok. I just, I just don't think that he's better than the other two guys right now, you know? Yeah, and I mean, the frustrating thing, and I think Jacques Mino over Mastrola's eyes as well, and Rassi Erasmus, because they know every time Russ has a fantastic game like he did on Saturday uh, with Connacht, and obviously we saw what he did to poor Mac Hansen. Jeez, yeah. guys are family. Um, <laughs> I'm sure Rassi Erasmus like, turns off his Twitter notifications because he's probably going to receive 50 tweets being like, why isn't he in the squad and all that sort of stuff. But I think, Anyone that's watched Evan Ruiz against the, the tougher opposition, and never mind the test match that he played for the box, but just against Le- Leicester, Leinster, sorry, and even in the URC final to an extent, like there's still some stuff that he needs to just get better at before he becomes a test match animal. And that's okay. He's 22. Like that's the normal part of the, of the, of the process of growth. Then he'll get better at these things. But yeah, I think there's just a rush to get him into the team. And but like, and what I also don't understand is, apart from, yes, maybe Dwayne Vermeulen, he's not in form right now, sure. But there's not really a place for him. I can't say with full um, conviction that Russ or Lowe, for that matter, are better than Colisi, Peter Steff, Jasper Visa, and Quaker Smith. Yeah. So then there's maybe one place left if Dwayne, let's say Dwayne is... is Let's say we don't count Dwayne. There's maybe two places for a, a loose forward. One of them will probably go to someone like Al Lowe or Renat Alstadt because they can also switch to lock if, if needed. And then the other will go to probably someone that can cover um, six and, and seven or six and eight, uh, ideally. Maybe someone like Dion Ferry. Obviously, he's had a, a, a decent few games. Maybe someone like... Um, uh, Evan, but the pro, uh, the point, sorry, is that Evan Ruiz also only covers one position at the moment, so it also becomes difficult for him. So, yeah, I, I, I he'll probably get, and we'll we'll have a lot of time to talk about this later with um, the SAA games coming up. But he'll definitely get selected for the SAA games, and he'll impress there, I'm sure. But again, you know, if he has a great Champions Cup, and you know, the Stormers hopefully make a run to the quarters or the semis, and he plays, you know a Leinster or a Toulouse or a Saracens and makes big um, moves there, then we can definitely start talking about it because I think, and it sounds like that's where the, 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 the Springbok coaches are. You need to do it in, in the big games in order for you to um, put your, stake your claim for a place in the squad. 
You see, the thing is, I mean, I was having, I actually tweeted off um, Rugby Bits instead of my own account, but I was talking about, um, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I try, I try and put the slightly controversial things off my own personal Twitter, uh, and <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I'm obviously yeah. there, there's four of us at Rugby Bits. I, I don't want to be blurting out saying um, that saying something, and then <laughs> you guys are looking at this, going, "Hang, this is not right," you know, but. But what I did say was I thought Evan Ruiz needs to work on um, so his line-out ability and his mauling, his mauling um, presence, uh, I think, is probably the place where he needs to work more. Not saying that he doesn't have the goods. I don't think he doesn't have the goods. And I absolutely think he's going on tour in November. I, I have no doubt in my mind that he's going on tour in November. He has to go. It, it's, uh, he, he absolutely simply has to go because in order for him to grow personally, he must go on tour. And he will play three games there, I reckon. In, in, whether it's SA, well, there's only two SAA games, but I reckon he'll be involved in three, maybe four games. And, and he's 22 years old, as, as we've mentioned. The guy's got it, but you are bang on. He covers only eight at the moment. I wouldn't pick him. I wouldn't play him on the side of the, on the, side of the scrum for any Springbok um, test match at the moment. Um, I don't think that that's where he is. And I, I would much prefer that he stayed focused on eight, fixing his, his eight um, uh, role for what the Springboks need. He very likely could just be, um, and, and as much to, like, so much to the player's disappointment and many fans, he might just be the Skulk Brits of his era because Skulk Brits was world-class, but he didn't fit into what we needed as a hooker in the Springboks. I thought that he could, we could have made up for it. And that's where this, this conversation goes now. So, you know, the, the guy's got it. And, and yes, he's going he's gonna to have a good season. But the same as um, the Stormers are almost like the Harlequins, where the Harlequins win the premiership and so few of their players make the English setup because it's not Test Match Rugby that they're playing. Are, are the Stormers players, a lot of them fitting into the same Category specifically Ulrich Lowe and their Lucy's and a couple of other players. I don't Manila know. Bach. Yeah, I, I'm just yeah. like I'm just floating that because they're they're performing well in those structures, but put them in somewhere else, they might need to completely change their mindset, and it might not be towards their strengths. Just yeah. just adding options, but uh, I by no means I'm saying that Ulrich Lowe uh, that Evan Ruiz is, is shit. I think he's a good player. Yeah. I think he's great. I think he's big and strong. And I think he's going to most certainly win himself a hell of a lot of Springbok caps. It's just not now. Yeah. I mean, he's 22. Just chill. Yeah. <laughs> we can wait. I mean, we don't all need to be Springboks by the time we are 21. Um, yeah. But I think let's get back to the game. Um, yeah. I think we did. Well, I, as I mentioned, we discussed like the forwards and their performance in the first half. But Sean, I think we also saw like in the second half that things weren't really going well with our rolling more or with our rolling more defense. And, you know, we started slipping our binds in the scrums and conceding some penalties there. And I think that's been a bit of a theme in the rugby championship that there's been times our set piece hasn't looked as almost perfect or as strong as it usually does. Sean, do you think we're having a little bit of a drop in our standards there? Yeah. There are a couple of things that seem a bit wobbly. Um, and 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 the set piece. So the the scrum, the lineout, and the maul are 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 three separate spaces that are slightly wobbly. And the other is our our, our defence is a little bit shaky sometimes. But yes, um, 
you know, we've, we've been, we've been flirting with, we've been working with different players and, and different um, front rows and trying to figure things out. And we've, that coincided with having someone like Trevor Nyakane um, lose a bit of form, which we never thought would happen. Like the, the truth is, is, is when he, when he was getting pushed around, we, we, we didn't see that happening. He's a much better player than that. So that, you know, there's a few things that have been iffy. You know, the lineouts have not been great. And Marks and Mbanambe have every now and then wandered a little bit off course, but we, ha- we had it with Dweb as well. So we haven't really had that um, our, our bread and butter. And I thought on Saturday we were doing well in the beginning, in the first half especially, and I really wanted us to to carry through that discipline, that focus of just cleaning them off just wasn't quite happening. But the thing is, is our backs weren't working either. So it's almost like the Argentinians knew that the only thing that we were going to do was work off our forwards and our set piece because the only backs that did anything, and I think they really deserve a shot along with the forwards, were our 12 and 13 because Everywhere else was wobbly. You know, those are the only two that could really put their hands up and say that they 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 did well and try to create some front of the ball for us. But our forwards did well and then fizzled out. Yeah, and I think there was they they got back into in the last ten minutes, but there was definitely a, a part of the game, and that's probably where we lost any chance of getting the twenty uh, the thirty nine points. Is when Argentinians were starting to get some ascendancy in the rolling malls and 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 winning the, the collisions there. Um, yeah, so let's move to <laughs> a big talking point from, the, from Saturday's game, which was the performance of Juan Franz Stein. Shame. Um, he, yeah, did not have the best day um, on the park and up until, or up to the, 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 the Durban crowd cheering, um, so, um, like sarcastically when he kicked a ball out for touch for the, for the penalties. And anyway, it's just not really accurate. And, you, you know, obviously he's not a first-choice fly by any means. But, yeah, I think most would be a little bit disappointed that we, he couldn't at least do a job and, 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 and hold things over for the weekend. And, yeah, I'm sure not, I'm not sure what your thoughts are. But it just, I mean, we saw what, we saw that it, it, it really felt like a 12 that is trying to play 10 in, in all aspects and then really was a bit more um, untidy than what we probably expect from someone with his experience. Yeah. So I had to think about it and in hindsight, I probably, maybe we should have started Fuff because Fuff mm-hmm. would have been able to, he's just a lot more experienced at nine. So maybe he could have helped France None of us ever thought that France Stein would need some help on the inside or outside. He got it on the outside from Damien Delendi. But on the inside, maybe that is somewhere where he could, we could have maybe made a change. Because I don't think we were venturing. I, I think France Stein at 12 was, it was either him or Vili, you know. And, and, they were, and they were both really like we're going to be a gamble. So it, I just found it so odd that that. France was was missing those kicks to touch, um, you know the simple things like he kicked well to poles. I mean, I think he he kicked all of his kicks. I just yeah. think that we that's the part like we didn't kick to settle. If we kicked to settle things down, he probably would have got into the game. But he got, almost looked like it's so weird saying this, but it almost looked like he got rattled early and then was gone. He really mm-hmm. looked a little bit flustered. 
I think um, we try to do a lot more work of, of Damien at 12 to try and um, sort some go-forward ball. Um, twice there were passes that went very deep off Damien to go back to France that both missed their target, sadly. But that, mm. to me, showed that the Springboks were probably going to send the ball wide or France could have just walloped the kick. But very likely send the ball wide and then give the wingers some ball because we completely changed our game plan. And those two passes alone, if they had stuck or if been a little bit more accurate, I would love to have seen the outcome of that and how that changed our game. I almost feel that those two, those two things were, were, a big, were a big thing that, that, that could have assisted us and the, the missed kicks to touch. I find it so hard, weird that he's trying to eke off an extra five meters when he's already got an absolute bazooka boot. Mm. And, um, you know, if he miss kicks it, it still goes further than anyone else. But, yeah, I, like, I don't think France is done and needs to be dropped. I think he's still got a place in the squad, but I think his place in the squad is exactly the same as what it had been before. I think it's going to be more um, that player 23, the guy that helps in the squad, that sorts out a few things. Um, but I don't think we'll see him starting at 10 if we have this problem again in the future. Mm. Or, Look, or I maybe, mean, or, sorry, I'm sorry, or maybe he will because the Springbok coaches have shown often that they've given guys an extra chance and sorted stuff out, like work on this, sort this out, let's figure this out. It's new for you. You've got a feel for it. We can do it again with you. You know, what happens if he comes on in the quarterfinal in an emergency at 10 uh, and then... Tim. Can we've lost dominant. that game. No, don't you very dare. <laughs> France no, is good I enough like to it. pull it together if need be. And we'll simple yeah. things down, you know. So I think that's the issue with France in, in, in that respect that I think there's, we've, and I mean, we've obviously watched this guy for 16 years, so we know his game relatively well. So France can obviously be, you know, a, a person that, you know, cleans things up, is very accurate, obviously kicks the ball you know, a country mile, but there is an aspect of him because, you know, he's such a talented player. And I don't know if it's just sometimes it's a lack, uh, it's a, maybe a lapse of concentration or like, you know, he's just trying to get the full maximum out of, out of certain things, but you know, he, he would try things and you just be like, mm, you know what, you could have just at least played a little bit safe. And I think especially when you're the K like almost like a substitute like you know, your substitute teacher in a sense at um at Flyhalf, like all he needed to do on Saturday was like you said, Sean didn't need to go for the sixty meter um penalty kick. Just kick it out thirty meters. Let's just build momentum. He all he needed to do is not to do the big big pass, and I think that was sometimes why he why he missed like Damien or or whoever just trying to trying to run a line. Just do something more simple and just. There's build momentum like that. Like that's how, you know, the box can, especially in a, in a game like that where the forwards were rumbling, that's how the box can just capitalize that momentum. He doesn't have to do too much. Like if he was playing France or something like that, maybe we'd expect a lot more from our 10. But in a game like that, all he needed to do was just to almost be like a background player, more so than like at the forefront and carrying the ball and getting into contact and, you know, trying to get these 60-meter kicks. He didn't need to do all of that. He just needed to, you know, when he, when he needs to kick the ball 30, 40 meters, when he needs to um, just get the ball off to Damien or for a crash ball or get the ball out wide when he needs to. He didn't need to do all of the other stuff. And unfortunately, like those, yeah, that just didn't really happen for him. 
I like your point about maybe this would have been a better game for Faf de Klerk. And I mean, we can talk about it when we review the box. I think there's some aspects about Faf's game I'm worried about mm-hmm. um, with his form. But if we weren't kicking we it from thought, nine, if we weren't yeah. kicking it from nine, then playing Faf wouldn't have mattered. Um, it was less of a risk, yeah. Yes. So, um, you know, looking at those tactics, uh, um, Jaden, for me, so, yeah, he didn't kick. And if it was going down to passing and experience and, 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 and supporting France staying more, then I would, have, I would have been a little bit more supportive of starting Faf. If we were going to kick like I'd hoped we were going to be doing from nine, uh, Jaden starts for me, no, no, no shadow of a doubt, you know. Mm. Yeah, well, it's a bit weird that we didn't really use that because mm. that's how we capitalized and put pressure on the Argentinians. But I mean, we were always in their half, especially in the first half, because we were getting, you know, a penalty a minute. So I guess we didn't really need to do a big, like, you know, do miracles of the kicking game. But yeah, I think we need to just also divorce ourselves from the front row staying at 10, like, option. Like, it has to be a fifth, sixth option, like, half the team has been abducted by aliens and France is the only one remaining, then that's fine. But, but let's if be he's legitimate... <laughs> let's be realistic here. Um, I know that we spoke about it on the group about this World mm. Cup to World Cup cycle, which I hate. However, because of what we've built up and everything, I, I, I've been finding myself talking about World Cups more. But there comes a point in the World Cup, I don't know when, but where you are not allowed to add players to your squad. So yeah. there, there is a point. It might be after the group stages or something where if there's an injury, you have to use within your squad. So if we're going to be honest about this, there, there is a chance, no matter how well we prepare for this, that we could yes. end up needing a third choice fly half in the knockout stages of a game. So then we need to start asking the questions about what questions have been answered and what questions do we yeah. have and how do we work this out. So. Is Huisen going to take Francois Stein's role? Because I think it's the Francois Stein role in the squad that is the 10 role. So is it France? Because um, or we're going to have two, we're going to have two first choice fly halves, uh, sorry, two fly yeah. halves, and then we're going to have Damien Willemse and then Francois yeah. Stein. So then we've got four and Vili. Maybe, maybe we're looking at that. But are we going to take a, is Damien Willemse going to take the second choice fly half and then we have to have another 15? Is that going to be Johan Khoisen? Is it going to be Apalela Fassi? In which case, yeah. France Stein becomes our third choice 10 again. So there's quite a lot of dynamics that we've got to look at. And I think November tour is going to help us with that um, or answer questions for the book coaches. And then mm. next year, we'll see what the plan is. But I mean, touch wood. You know, we, we've gone through a little bit of a mini emergency at the moment. Next year, this time, it, well, 11 months time, we um, hopefully will be in a much better position. Yeah, I think you've basically said what I was just about to say is that, no, 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 but it was actually, you probably said it better than I did, is that number one, I think Stain should be like at worst, like the fourth choice, like, you know, we have two established fly halves, be it Pollard and then, you know, Fryhoff X, you know, mm. you know, we've obviously discussed the Alton situation. Damien is like our third choice. You know, he can come in um, even if he's made, he can even be like the second choice in inverted commas, but we still have a recognized flyoff in the squad that can come in if needed. Mm. And then we, 
and then this is the the this the, where the second part comes in. I think in terms of Frontrastain's place in the squad, this is where Jan Hoesen comes in, and that's the probably the biggest threat to Stain going to the Rugby World Cup at the moment. And that's if Hoesen is able to obviously prove his fitness number one, and number two put in the performances to try and unseat him because he would obviously be the person that can cover all of these positions. Is obviously a much comfortable and much more um, useful option at 10. And, you know, we obviously are aware of his talent. It's just obviously he's not been in the squad that much and, you know, doesn't have the experience that, that Franz Rostein has. And, you know, like I'm, a, I'm definitely a person that believes in vibes and it de- seems like Franz Rostein brings good vibes. So <laughs> there's definitely also an aspect of that too. So, yeah. but I think so my question to you, well. yeah. my question to you is right now, both are fit, both are in form, both are available and fit into the Springbok squad environment. Who are you taking between Franz Stein and um, Johan Hoesen? I'm probably taking Hoesen. Just on the I would fact take, that... I take Franz Stein. I, I look, I, mm. I think it's close enough. Like, I, I, don't, mm. I don't mind... There's op- no op- wrong like, answer. <laughs> I don't think there's a wrong answer in that. Because look, Stein is literally, what, um, 10 months removed from basically winning us the game against Wales and winning us the game against New Zealand last year with his um, kicking from fullback. Mm. So the ability is there. It's just that he hasn't really played that much rugby the last six months because of the injuries. So he's only played off the bench, I think, for half the rugby championship. Now he started at 10. Obviously, he's not even a, 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 a recognized 10. So this almost not a, it's not a setup because it was because of injuries and stuff, yeah. but like this wasn't the best circumstances to measure him in. But on the other hand, it's, I don't think there's things that I don't want him to work on his 10 stuff. You know, you know what I mean? Like I want him to still improve as a, or not improve, but like just to, to work on his game as a, as a 12, because I think he'd be a decent second choice 12. He'll probably be like, if he's picked for the squad, he'd probably be like the captain of the, Springbok B team that plays in the Romania games mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. So I want him as a 12. He can obviously cover 15 if we need him to. He can do a, a job of sorts in, at 13. He needs to only come in at 10 if it's like the last 10 minutes of a game. And yeah, maybe we want to get, give Pollard a few minutes off. Mm. Or, or like, you know, a Meteor's gone through like the three flyoff options for whatever mm. reason. But like, you can't, we can't be winning a rugby world cup if Francis Stain is in the top three options. That's, I think, the, 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 the main gist of it. And yeah, I think we saw he can improve, but I think we saw why in the Argentina game that there's just certain aspects of his game that were the reason why we saw Stain as a much better fullback and center in, his, in the like, peak mm. of his career. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm more asking for that player 23 role, yeah. um, not specific, not a fly off. Specific because yes. France could possibly, uh, if you're gonna, you could probably include both Huisen and Stain, but that would come at the expense of Esterhazen, I would imagine. Um, probably, yeah, because you've got France covering 12, uh, Willemse covering 12, um, Lucania Damon, covering 12, you've got uh, Creel, um, Delendi, Huisen, and Stain covering 13. So our midfield options are five, like. And then you've got more options at 10 and at 15. But I'm scared that we're having too many, too many like multiple position players. That's always been a worry for me. But I don't think we'll yeah. change the balance too much of that. 
I think. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I would I would actually still stick with Stain, funny enough. It was, if it was between Huisen and Stain, it really is a tough one. But I'd probably stick with Stain just because of the time he spent in the squad over the last four or five yeah. years. Um, yeah, good argument. But I, but if if it was between the two and they went with Huisen, I'd be like, okay, cool, that's your call. It's that's not there's no skin off my teeth. Like there's 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 factors inside the squad and decisions by the coaches that we obviously not privy to. So I'd understand it, but I think it's it's pretty it's a close one. Eh? Now that now that we discuss it like that, you're... yeah. And look, I think there's probably only space for one of those guys. Yeah, and. I did a thread over the weekend going through like the tier one nations except for Italy, apologies to Italy, and just going through what their World Cup squads look like. And in my calculation, there's probably only space for two of Franz Rostein, Johan Kursen, and then Andre Esterhazen because, yeah, Andre Esterhazen is limited because, you know, the, the incumbent 12 is not really going to move anytime soon, that being Dukes. So, and we have Willems as an option there. So, it, yeah, I guess we'll have to see now with, with the games coming up. Stain, I think, is going to play for the Cheetahs now in the next few, uh, not this weekend, but the weekend after that in the, in the, in the Toyota Challenge. He's only so allowed to play for the just... Cheetahs if he's drinking beers afterwards with fans like he did last year in the <laughs> That's what we're here for, let's be honest. <laughs> Maybe Cooks and Francis Stain should do an advert together. Oh, man. <laughs> but but now nah, cooks cooks. I mean, I was hoping he was going to be on. He needs to tell us about this. Uh, he's now uh, he's now committed to the Bulls. So I mean, <laughs> imagine the two of them having beers, uh, a bull and a cheetah, beers for the game. That should be <laughs> that should be good. Listen, I'm going to mention it again because I know. Firstly, Jared would really want me to, but it's something that I've been thinking about a lot, and I've seen it happen a lot, and the discussion at the Quins. But Andre Esterhazen is not Can a cover. slouch at 10, eh? Yeah. And also, he's, if I'm not mistaken, he's left-footed and he has a booming boot as well. He's a lefty, right? Yeah. yeah. He, he is left, yes. Their, their, options, their options, and I think that's why he's still in the mix. I think regardless of what happens with Willemse, I think uh, uh, Esterhazen's providing us with extra, extra options yeah. there little left-right combo kicking option. You could shift into 10 for a little bit of distribution. You can kick for poles. If you don't have Francie, he can kick a country mile as well. So I think he might be a dark horse. But, yes, see, we, we really – we're having a bit of a, a blockage, a funnel blockage with the amount of, of talent we've got at 10, 10 and 12 covering and stuff at the moment, it seems. Yeah, if only, like, one of them, one of Estes and all – um, France was like raised as a 10 almost, then we'd probably be solving two problems. We would not have, or even Damien Willems to an extent, we'd not have like this big back clock that we have at 12 and then at 10, we're not like trying to shift people into 10 that haven't really played 10. So you're trying to subliminally years. get Hussein in. I see what you're doing. So you're just casually just dropping that in there because you need the goose. <laughs> the goose at 10. Yeah. Look, yeah. <laughs> Look, if I'm honest, like I, I don't, like I, I don't see Hurson as like a international fly half. I think I don't think he solves all the problems that we have. I I guess he could be a second choice, a third choice, but he doesn't play. At he hasn't really played that much ten. I mean, you would know better than I do. But he didn't play that much ten at all for Montpellier. 
And last season for the Bulls was the only season where he played 10 pretty much week in, week out. And he got injured. He's come back to the Bulls and then got injured. Now he's come back to the Bulls team. Chris Smith is having a, he's been having a good year or so. Mornay Stain is still there. And obviously he's still got ice breaking in his veins. <laughs> and breaking hearts still for the last 20 years almost. So Corson is probably only going to play 15. And now Kirtley Artis is coming back. So where's Corson going to play now? He's going to play 23. Yeah. Like it's not a perfect situation for, for the Goose as well. So it, it, I, I, I would like to see what happens in the next few um, URC games because um, Arinsa and Moody, I guess you could probably maybe move Moody to 11 or Arinsa to 11 and then have uh, Arinsa, Moody, um, Corson back three. Um, you know, you've got Straviano J- J- Jacobs, you've got um, the Creels as well as, as options Just, in the back three. For, but me, then, for me, Jacobs falls away because you... Probably. You... you you then have um, um, Hendricks, um, Mapu, Similani. Those guys are now jamming 10, 12, and 13. So mm. we, I, I would almost always want to have Cornell Hendricks on the field. So does mm. he play 12 and Mapu 13? Because I, I rate Mapu. I really do. I think, I think he offers so much to that side just purely from his organizational ability. He's got a calm head on him and he does have a little bit of flash. So Similani probably goes onto the bench, but then yeah, he can cover wing and, and fullback and, and midfield. Maybe that's why Jake wanted to look at him at 15 a couple of weeks ago, just to see mm-hmm. maybe he's going to be covering. But when, when the Springboks come back to the Bulls, they're problems. There's some oaks sitting, <laughs> some oaks missing the flight on a tour because he just really can't make the side because Moody mm. and Arinsa start. There's no ways they yes. don't. And you didn't buy Wandisile Similani to sit on the bench. So he probably should at least be in the 23. And you've got Harold Forster who played really well. You've got, yeah, so there's a lot of issues there. But yeah, I mean, Kursen, the point being that Kursen doesn't even have that much time to probably play 10 in the next few months so oh, is he really yeah. that that much of a legit option so he's also probably someone that is probably more a third choice than he would be a second choice so i point just want being, to, i'm yeah. sorry to interrupt you again but i just want to remind everyone don't forget jake white has experience with european rugby and um, by european i mean the mm. champions cup he has experience with dealing with bigger squads what is required from the domestic and the european point of view so we're saying this now but he's got the plan where he's probably going to be running two squads alongside each other for whatever requirements are needed. You know, he'll probably um, uh, like when the guys come back from a a champions cup uh, game, he'll probably be starting a a vastly different side than you'll see the week after. I'm not sure the exact fixtures, like who they've got uh, on either side of the, of the European fixtures, but Mm -hmm. it's just, uh, I think we'll probably see that he's, him and them and the Sharks have probably got the best depth required to be successful in domestic and European competitions. We'll just have to see how they work it out. Sorry. Yeah. But yeah, my point being, and this probably can transition into our discussion about, um, you know, the review of the Springboks and the lessons learned. I think my lesson learned is if the Alton Yankee situation doesn't sort itself out, and obviously I'll leave that to Alton and the Springbok management, 
we need a legitimate second choice 10 option that plays 10 every week. Like at the very least to be in the squad, but I think he should probably be the person that is the second choice if Andre Pollard is not able to play. Like the Willemser, Frontrostein, Johan Gerson, et cetera, et cetera, options are stopgap and should only be seen as stopgap. And that's probably, I hope that's the big lesson that um, Jacques Minob has taken um, from from this tournament. So yeah, let's transition into that point. What do you, what do you think the big lesson is for the Springboks from this um, rugby championship? <clears throat> the big lesson is we, we really have to tighten up our basics. So we have yeah. to work very hard with our tight five at scrum time and our first and second choice tight five. Like we really got to put a lot of work there. We have to put a lot of work in at lineouts and we need to tighten up our more. Um, so for me, the set piece is vital. The other thing, and I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, and I find it quite disturbing in that our head coach is the mastermind behind one of the, the, one of the, the newest and greatest defensive setups um, being used, but is that we are quite leaky on defense at, in periods, like the discipline is not there. And um, so those, those are the things I want to work on. So they're actually relatively easy things to work on in that they're not too um, out there. Um, it's just about getting the boys together, tightening everyone up, like just getting laid down the law, you know? Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think though there is like a 30% aspect to it that obviously we're the, you know, the world champions and all that sort of stuff. And we are known for, you know, having probably the best forward pack in the world. Do you think a part of it is also just that obviously every forward coach and scrum coach and lineup coach that faces the Springbok, Springboks has what a week's or year or almost a year to work out how they're going to stop it. So they've got Pietrus Duplessis or whoever just working on how to work the scrum, how to show a picture to the referee. They've got, you know, the forward coach for the Argentinians working on how to stop the rolling mall. And I'm sure we'll probably same, face the same things against Ireland and France in the end of your tour. So do you think it's also just an element of because we're the best, people are preparing for us and this is their big test match. Like a Jason Ryan or someone like that will be excited trying to work out ways in order to stop our rolling mall more so than he would be facing, you know, England or the All Blacks or France or whatever. So do you think that's a part of the reason why our, our forward stuff hasn't looked too great sometimes? Uh, yes, uh, I, 100%. And I'm going to add to that. But yes, we are like we are the benchmark and, and we are the ones to beat because the, that's who you measure yourself up against. From like, I don't care what, like, you measure yourself a, a, about beating the Springbok first and second choice packs. And you measure yourself up about contesting in the lineout and winning all your lineouts against the Springboks who have defensively a great lineout. And then same with the malls, both sides of the ball, you know, whether you're defending or attacking. So 100%. The other thing is, is I also do believe that we are not just casually sitting back, going by, hoping that our, um, the, the blueprint from 2018 and 2019 is going to then go and win us the 2023 World Cup. We are definitely working on stuff changing things up with something will be revealed and most coaches and teams will reveal their their bits of their hand more in 2023 in the year of the world cup um but they, they will unleash it in uh, in in the world cup 
because you know you want to keep something up your sleeve so you can present it to teams that have never seen it before that get the defensive coaches and the scrum coaches scurrying for footage to try yeah. and figure out what the hell's going on. And I'll just take everyone back to the move. <laughs> yes. The move. And I think that is, yeah, hopefully that there is maybe things that obviously counters to those counters that the, the, the Springboks will be working on because we know, like, the, we know what the strengths are with the Springboks and, you know, other teams will be trying to show a picture, especially in the scrubs, will be trying to show a picture to the ref to go, look, you know, um, someone's slipping their bind or someone's not, you know, is not doing what they're supposed to do in the scrum and then you milk a penalty. <laughs> Remember last year um, when we played England and the smile Carl Sinclair had when he won that penalty um, against, I think it was Oxen Chair, like that, be- that smile comes from, I've been working on this for the whole week <laughs> and Matthew Proudfoot has probably told me, you know, do this and do that and it worked a charm. Yep, 100%. And we, we've got like, I mean, if you think about it, three South African, four, counting South Africa, three South African forwards coaches coaching Test Match Rugby at the moment. So we've got Petrus in Australia. We've got yeah. um, uh, Peter de Villiers in Proudfoot. Scotland. Oh, and yes. we've got Proudfoot yeah. in England and Don, and uh, Don for South Africa. Yeah, so it's all the P's that are... <laughs> trying to find ways to stop the Springboks. So <laughs> we set out this um, Springbok fan survey after the 2022 Rugby Championship um, to see what the fans' feelings are about the how the Springboks are going. So I think let's maybe go through it quickly and just to get some yeah quick fire discussion about and review the Rugby Championship um, in that way. So the first question was, what was the best performance by the Springboks in the Rugby Championship? Um, Sean, what was it for you? I thought our um, performance in Argentina was incredible. Uh, I really did. Um, I saw when I voted um, that I was horribly outnumbered <laughs> because um, the, <laughs> the, the all-black game in Mbombela was, was up there. I just thought that um, with us traveling, with the up and down against Australia, I, I, I really enjoyed the Argentinian um, test match. I thought we were in control. Um, and I thought it, it boded well for us to finish the tournament uh, a little bit better than we did. Yeah, I think you can also make a decent argument for the Australia game, mm. especially because, you know, the Springboks lost the week before and, you know, it was and under travel, some you know. yeah, scrupulous circumstances and all that sort of stuff. And they stood up to that game. And, you know, we've I think we've talked about this, that the Springboks sometimes need a loss in order to wake up. But they woke up really well and, you know, keeping the Australian scoreless until the or at least trialless until like the 75th minute is also a big feat because that's a great Australian attack so they played really well to basically zero them out for for most of the game but as you've um, indicated the most of the fans voted for that 26-10 win over the All Blacks which I mean yeah I, I think is probably the right answer because the Springboks just everything went well that game they you know, the, the, the set piece was going well. They were, you know, bashing it up really well. The rolling wall was going well. The kicking game was perfect. And mm-hmm. we, we, mm-hmm. we are, yeah, we know that try that's, that um, Kirtley Arnons has scored um, from, from the kicks as well. Like, I've never seen a New Zealand team look so lost before. And yeah, that I think is probably the, the defense, of course, I don't think I mentioned it, was just relentless the whole time. And it just made a New Zealand team look very lost, which... <laughs> You know, we were 
you know, writing eulogies for Ian Foster and the All Blacks, and you know, they <laughs> were the true, champions eh? at the end. We 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 were whitewashing the rugby championship. We were going. We were streets <laughs> ahead to win the World Cup next year. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, clearly that was a, a you know a good performance against a team that was actually not too bad. Let's keep it to now the player of the rugby championship. I say, I, I I excluded Malcolm Marks um, in that uh, question because I think that'll be where most votes go. So I had, I mean, yeah, you can choose whoever because we had a bit of a debate or a little bit, you were scaling me out for not including a certain player in the options. Well, what were the options? Just so all the listeners can get, well, your options were excluding okay, so marks. The, the options were, excluding marks was Jasper Visa, Damon Willemse, Franz Malarbe. I just want to defend myself here. Best tight head in the world. Doesn't get the love that he deserves. Is a sneaky maybe option maybe for World Player of the Year as well. If you mention, I think he should get more love. Front row. A prop finally, yeah. Jeez. So I just want props to get love. Yeah, yeah. And then I said other, and please comment. Yeah. So um, I I thought uh, Jen Henriksen deserved um a shot, and um, but for me, Jasper Visser was was was. By far, uh, even more so than Malcolm Marks, I think Jasper Vista was probably the guy for us this year, um, uh, this this tournament. But why I did have a go to you yesterday was um, not having Sia Khaleesi in there. But I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt because you're only allowed to add four options and your fourth option was other. And we <laughs> excluded Marks, so you did well to get four in there anyway. But um, but yeah, I thought Sia Khaleesi was, was, was great. I thought. You know, there's so many guys you can mention. Um, uh, Jesse Creel deserves mm. a shot, and and um, because even though he Ooh. only he only he, he won't because he only played two, he only started two games, but he was um, like for to take over that role and be in that position and and everything. Jaden Hendrickson deserves a, a shot too. Um, same with with Damian Willemse. The best part about Damian is he. If he didn't get injured, he'd probably he'd probably win that um, because I think he was mm. so influential. Um, same with Lucanio Am. So yeah, I, there's almost like no wrong answer here. I'm, we've got a lot to get through, so I'll stop jabbering on. <laughs> yeah, um, other people mentioned Ebenezerbeth, Yakalisi, like you mentioned. Lodiaka got a few shots as well, but yeah, um, Jaden Hendrickson. So Most yeah, it. I think there were. Most of it, I th- yeah, I think that's a good sneaky one as well, there's especially his games at seven. Yeah, there's a player that that was that flew under the radar but got through a boatload of work. Mm. Let's talk about the most encouraging part of the Springboks during the rugby championship. So you can talk about your own thing. The options on the thing were, um, what is the most encouraging part of the Springboks during the rugby championship? Um, the first one was physicality. The second was finding new players. The third was developing the attack. And the fourth was historic wins against New Zealand and Australia. Tied at the moment is finding new players and developing the attack, which is quite interesting. Sean, what's your most encouraging part of the rugby championship for the box? The most encouraging was actually the de- um, developing more attack. And um, I, I'm a firm believer, and I speak about it a lot, so I'm sorry for boring it, all the usual listeners, but the puzzle pieces that we're working on and putting them together. And unfortunately, sometimes... You know, introducing one puzzle piece means we lose focus on another part, but I, I believe it will all come together. But the attack 
we really attacked well. It wasn't just Damien Willemser. It wasn't just a player. It was a combination of so much where we were bringing LaRue in more. LaRue felt comfortable uh, with the 10, 15 options. We were looking at, at a whole bunch of, of, of new and different attacks. So I like that. That's, that for me was, was probably the most encouraging part followed very, very closely by um, wins over New Zealand and Australia. Yeah, I think that that's definitely, a, um, uh, I can definitely agree with that. And <clears throat> I think just an, the other one that was top, which is finding new players, I think, uh, and you'll see with the negatives, um, the most concerning thing, <laughs> I think uh, with the most concerning thing, I, I almost did it deliberately of just reversing um, all of these options or a lot of these options, because I think there's a there's two dominating perceptions with the box that you know we have developed new players we are developing our attack things aren't coming right yet versus look at this attack it's still you know from the stone age we haven't developed players you're playing all these old people and i think there's truth in both and it probably leans more to the positive than it does to the negative but we have actually unearthed some new players that are now regulars and probably first choice options in the 23 before this year, we probably wouldn't have said that Jaden Hendrickson, Damon Willemson, and Jasper Visa are in our first choice 15, and now they're in. So <clears throat> you don't usually, you know, it's, it's rare for a, a team, especially a top team like the Springboks, to develop three options for their first choice 15 in a year. So I think that is also a big credit to the Springboks. So the, let's... The yeah, other we, thing oh, yeah, on go that... On, Sorry, mate. The other thing on that is also the guy, fans always talk about, oh, it's always the old people. It's always the old people. But if you look at Hendrickson, if you look at Visser, just those two alone, and Aronsa actually, you look at mm. the guys that have, that have like forced their way into the match day 23, not only the match day 23, the starting 15. So you can't tell me that, that the Springbok coaches are only dealing with the old people. Sorry, that's just my <laughs> little moan. Yeah, and luckily, just going to the next question, good segue, when we talk about the most concerning thing for the Springboks, the oldies one was only the second most popular. The most popular was the clunky attack. That is probably still a few things to work out with the attack. That got 44%, oldies 23%, 19% is the set piece is not as strong, and 14% the bomb squad and selection. What do you think is the most concerning thing, Sean? The most concerning thing for me is is the 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 team going to sleep for periods of the game and, and, mm-hmm. and then hurting our discipline, hurting our defense, hurting our attack and hurting our momentum. That's the most concerning thing for me because I think everything is going along better. Um, it's going along nicely and I think will be significantly better if we play that 18-minute game like we're capable of doing. And th- that's for me something that I would rather fix that straight away um, than anything else right now because I think that that will um, filter down the line and fix the rest of the stuff um, quite a bit. Okay, so let's move on to what was the most frustrating thing about the Springbok losses? So obviously we lost at Ellis Park to the Wall- I mean to the New Zealanders and we lost at Adelaide in that game at, what was it, 3 a.m. in the morning? Um, <laughs> 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 oh, beautiful. So the options, but yeah, we can talk about other things, but the options were bad start, selection, defense, and not scoring enough. Um, not scoring enough is leading. I mean, I guess 
by definition, of course, the, the, the reason why we lost is that we didn't score more than the opposition, so fair enough. And then that, <laughs> I thought about it after I posted the, the thread, and I was like, oh, probably could have worded it a little bit better. Um, but yeah, bad starts and selection are tied at 27%, and then defense is at 6%. And I think, yeah, I would actually say defense is a little bit concerning because I think a lot of teams are finding a lot of uh, mileage from that inside ball. I think we've talked about it for um, the past few weeks, and I think that's something that we need to just fix um, as soon as possible because a team like France especially um, and, and their dynamic attack, they'll find a lot of, and Ireland, don't even get me started, they'll find a lot of um, purchase if, if there's a, a weakness in our defensive structure. And it does seem like it's because they expect a, a player to work hard in order to go from the opposite side of the ruck into the pillar post position. And that doesn't obviously work every time, you know, as you go through the phases and it creates a gap that can be exposed, especially with that move that the Australians have formed as well. Yeah. For me, it was um, the slow starts, like the inaccuracy of our starts hurt us. I think that hurt us more mm. than anything. Um, on the, the scoring option, you must bear in mind I mean, New Zealand scored 24 tries in the tournament. We scored 20. We weren't that far mm-hmm. off. Australia scored 17. Argentina scored 15. Despite scoring, what, 14 of those against Australia in the, second, in the first game or second game. So, <laughs> But, I mean, we scored 20 tries in the tournament. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'll find out what we scored in the past, but it'll take some, it'll take some Googling. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I think our slow starts probably hurt us the most. Yeah, I think there is something that I think they've fixed now because um, we've talked about this, that I, my theory was that we need to also just start our best players or our most informed players. And that's now that Marks and Skitsov now are part of the starting team. I think that coincided with the our spring, the Springboks starting the matches better and, and with a bit more intensity. Do you know how many tries we scored last year? Yeah, um, I'm not off the top of my head. 12. Ah, we scored eight more tries. New Zealand scored four less than the year before. <laughs> That's crazy. But we scored 12 tries in 2021. We scored 20 in 2022. Mm. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Apart from the, I mean, in all of our games, apart from the Australia game in Adelaide, we scored more than 20 points. So it does make sense that we've scored now quite a few more tries than we did last year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think we can go through some of these other ones quickly. The regular Springbok, that was the biggest miss. Obviously, the majority of people voted for Lukanya Am over Pollard, Colby, and, and Bonambi. Um, the most impressed, I'll ask you this as well, Sean, the most impressive discovery that Jacques Minaba made um, during the rugby championship, the options were Jasper Visa, Jaden Hendrickson, Damien Willemsa, and then a com- combination of Kirtley Aronsa and Kanan Moody. I'll go with Jaden Hendrickson. Um, I think the, the discovery of those other players uh, is one thing. Um, the, those players then going forward and forcing their, their way into starting. Um, mm. uh, it was between Visa and Hendrickson, but I did expect, I, I expected Visa to do as uh, better than, than what we were used to. So, but I didn't expect him to play this well. But Hendrickson was uh, on a, in a different thing. He hadn't come off a, a year of dominating in the Premiership. So I, I think Jaden Hendrickson um, takes that comfortably. Yeah. And then the spring market didn't quite meet your expectations. Joe Dweber, unfortunately, runs away with that. 
54% um, uh, Dwayne Vermeulen, Fonstein and Faf de Klaak also got some votes. Which Springbok would you like? And next question now talks more about the future. Um, which Springbok would you like to see play more in the November tour? Um, Sean, let me throw that to you before I talk about the Dirt Trackers voted. Um, what options were they? Sorry, so I'm the options were uh, <laughs> Alrich Lowe, Andre Estazen, Evan Rus, or a new fly half. Hmm. I think we're going to get a new fly half regardless. Um, so I, I'm actually going to go and say I want to see Evan Rus play more because we know what we're going to get from Alrich Lowe. Uh, it's between Evan and, and, and Esther Hazen. Um, yeah. But I'm going to go with Evan Rus. Uh, if we're going to go Estes and I'd like to see him dovetail a bit with 10 and 12 in the game, but Evan Ruiz, I think for me, because I'd like to see how we change our loose trio dynamic. I'd like to see um, who picks up the different roles and responsibilities. So that will show us the evolution of where the Springbok pack will be and what we are, what ability we have. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, we can, we'll, we'll talk about, because the next question will cover this as well, but I wouldn't mind seeing Andre Estazen in the Island game, especially. Um, just to see, he'll, that'll be like almost like an exam in defense. And, you know, you're being tested by Johnny Sexton and Robbie Henshaw and Ringrose, and they're all running but around. going to be his all time, Probably, I guess, because Lukanya Amazout. out. Yeah, so I'd draw, I'd draw, uh, I, th- uh, I think that's a bit risky. I really do. But no, I see, I see what you're doing. Yeah, it's though. not to win, it's to actually see how good are you, Andre? And can you, are you like legitimately like we're not losing too much if you replace Damien in a situation where we need you to? So I wouldn't mind seeing that. But yeah, I think obviously the, the majority of people voted for Evan Ruiz. A new fly half is second with 28%. And yeah, like, like you said, now, Sean, we hopefully will get one. That's interesting. I, I'm very surprised that the Dirt Trackers haven't gone with a new 10, to be honest. Yeah, Evan responds to someone. He'll be the most popular person in South Africa for the week, to be Ain't fair. Is that the truth, eh? <laughs> I'm sure he'll be like nominated CEO of ESCOM, if, uh, you know, just, just by what he's doing. That's the next question though. is what... <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Then what, what should Jacques Niedelbe focus on in the November tour? And the options were developing our plan B and our attack. Second is um, blooding new players. Third is developing options at 10. Four is no, winning is everything. Yeah, I tell you, I, I, would, like, I would like a combination of one, two, and three. Um, <laughs> yes. It, uh, it, I, I think we're going to be blooding new players. We're going to be having a look at some options, but they're all going to come at, at, at the detriment of some results. But mm. I really am excited for this November tour. We've got four test matches and two um and two SAA games of which one mm. test match is going to be the majority of the SAA side so we've basically got three test matches where we could pick our first choice side and then we've got three matches one of them being a test where we could pick some alternates so I, i'm super excited for it and i think it's going to be good but we can't expect to go there and win everything and i'm happy that mm. we that we don't i'd really like us to put up a massive Massive showing against Ireland instead of France. What I don't know what you prefer. Who would you rather beat, Ireland or France? <laughs> so that was one of the questions, and the majority of people voted France, or fifty-five percent. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I actually think beating Ireland would serve us better because yes. I think losing to France would actually maybe help us. And yeah, maybe this is me um, thinking the French are still, you know, the old fashioned French that, you know, are a bit up and down. But if, the, if France, if we lose to France, they'll likely beat us in the next game because I think the gap between the two teams isn't big. Like, I think they could probably beat each other on the day. But if we um, beat France, it's likely that they'll beat us in the next game. Mm-hmm. So you probably want to bank your loss now because if when we face France or if we face France in 2023, it'll be at a World Cup knockout game, yeah. be it a quarterfinal or the final. So yeah, I think the team that loses now will probably um, be, I would say they're my sneaky favorite to win the next game. So yeah, drop the France game. But um, the I was actually just noticing the dates of the different games. And the tour, the two tour games are all on a Thursday. So that means they're two days before a test. So the Munster game is two days before the French test. And the Bristol Bears game is two days before the Italy test. Yeah. So I think what's interesting about that is that, number one, we, you know, the people that are involved in those games will probably not be involved in the test. So we'll probably have to pick a squad of getting closer to 45, 46 players so that we can have two separate 23s. And number two, that means that we'll probably play our first choice um, team for the Italy game, maybe with a few changes, but the first choice 23 will mostly feature for the Italy game. There might be, and there's a number three, there might be though a, a space for if someone really performs and, and blows the socks off the Springboks um, coaching staff in the Munster game, that maybe they can sneak themselves up for contention for the Italy game. But I think there'll almost be two different 23s that are. Um, together for this tour but i think they will stay they will they will stay and train together a lot which is important yeah. i don't think they're going to split mm-hmm. them up i initially thought they might split guys up send the this one side to italy while the others the rest of everyone stays um to play bears and then the following week we play england i think so um yeah i just hope everyone stays together and i hope mm all the boys stay fit and we start putting pressure on people, but it's going to be good fun. Oh, I can't wait. (laughs) So yeah, I think we can start rounding up. So the final questions are a rating. So let's give a rating for the Springboks performance rugby championship. One, four games, only a log points behind the eventual champions lost two. But yeah, I think you can look at it two ways. Positive is that we're literally almost won the rugby championship and a four four wins is usually a really good year for the box in the rugby championship. But the negative is we probably could have got at least five wins and and, and secured it. And like like it's been written and talked about, we probably lost the rugby championship at Ellis Park. Yes. Yes, I I agree. I think that was the that was the game where we where we were like, oh, we, we, we doubted ourselves and we doubted a few things and we should really have put it to bed. And what's your rating out of 10 for the box? I'm going to go with a six, six and a half. I, yeah. I think we, totally agree. we weren't terrible. I think we did a lot of good things. We did a lot of bad things. Like there was a, there was a lot of shit with the good. Um, so, uh, but I don't think it was an absolute disaster. So six and a half may maybe a seven like there were some really good moments 
um, but mm. we we had some really poor ones. So I'm quite happy with the with the pass mark and needs work. Yeah, I think yeah I, I, we we should have or we we could have and should have probably won this rugby championship. And yeah, I think especially with how New Zealand and they still don't. I mean, we're going to talk about just quickly talk about the other teams quickly, but they still aren't convincing. It's not like we were beaten by like a historical New Zealand team. So. Yeah, I'm leaning towards a six, maybe a five point nine. <laughs> but yeah, just <laughs> more because I expect more from this team. But they did handle some things really well. Um, especially with the injuries. They developed some new players. There's the attack is coming along. I think it's grown a lot, even just from the first game to now. The first game we're doing a lot of like route one, one pass um rugby. And okay, minus the Francois Stain flyhoff game. In all the other games, we started doing a lot more in our attack, and I think that's a big positive. So, mm. yeah, I think 6 out of 10 is, is, a, is a good rating, so I'm with you there. Final question is, the best try in the rugby championship for the box? Mm. Uh, so the options really, quickly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, go on, Sean. No, 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 go. go I'll wait for you. So the options are oh, Mustard versus Australia. So that was the... One where we went to a few phases, Kulisi saved the ball from going out and all that sort of stuff and went through, I think, 13 hands. You have Marks' second try against Argentina, the little one-two with Marks and Mapimpi. You have Lukanyo Arms try versus New Zealand where Lukanyo Arms just went crazy. And we did add an <laughs> option below, option as well. Um, Dan M- Mendes, um, ad- he commented that um, Kena Moody's try had me feeling all kinds of things. And I think that was probably the most... That was shame. That was the, probably the sweetest moment for the Springboks. Just yes, and, and the most South African game. try, and the most South African try as well, like <laughs> from a from a kick. Mm. But uh, uh, Moses' try for me was was mm. was amazing. That's mine. Yeah, I I fully agree with you. I I mean, I yeah, obviously the other ones were great, but yeah, just I think that shows what the potential of our attack is and mm. where where it can go. Um, before I turn. Um, before we just turn to the other teams, just very quickly, just literally two minutes, Vili LaRue. So, yeah, I mean, Vili LaRue, like I usually say, Vili LaRue giveth and Vili LaRue taketh away. And I think he gave, giveth a lot. He was doing a lot of good things in the rugby championship. And I think our best moments in attack were usually with LaRue on the field. But I think you saw that like his defense, and I don't know if it's a confidence thing, but it just seems like he's, almost ducking some tackles and yeah there's been i don't know i i I obviously one can't say that he was ducking the tackle on saturday but him getting stepped like that by juan martin gonzalez is borderline embarrassing for him sure and yeah i think he got subbed straight after that which probably shows um what the springbok coaching staff's thoughts are and i think there's a big risk for larue that maybe he's now gonna be um, further phased out of the team. So what do you think of Villarreal's place in the squad? I think his place in the squad is is not not really up for debate. I think he's there mm. and he's there to stay. I think um, the what happened by getting stepped like that, that is um, a, a lazy or a fatigue or he just, just figured there's no way this guy's going to take me on the outside and then he didn't stay a light on his feet and then he committed and just got turned into a lampshade. But um, it's, uh, you know, uh, I'm yet to be proved wrong. 
But Villilaru, when when he's ten plays well, Villilaru plays well, and I think he overcompensates when he has a poor ten or a ten playing badly. Should I say France is not a poor ten? He just played badly. The um and and I'm still I'm still would like someone to have a look into that and prove me wrong or right. So I, I think that's <laughs> that's something. But I think you know defensively he is uh, straight head on. He listen. He's made a couple of really good tackles uh, in the tournament. Um, but a straight head on, a straight one on one tackle is probably not um, his favorite place to be. There was a, a period in the, and I think it was against uh, New Zealand where um, I can't remember, someone attacked down the wing and they passed. He didn't put shoulder on that player, even though he had passed, which would have effectively taken him out the move. Um, legally, it would, would have been done legally. It wasn't, wouldn't have been completely off. So I think that straight that straight on tackling is not the, not his game. I think he prefers a, a good tackle at fifteen, a nice side on where he can chase a guy down, grabbing him at the ankles, and that's one of the reasons why I think him at ten is is a little bit more risky than anything. You'd have to change things up in defence, um, and then obviously we lose his ability on attack um, when he's at ten um, because I think he does so well coming in from fifteen. So no, I don't think he's under pressure. I think the 15 jumpers between him and Damien Willemsen, they will rotate it according to what is required at 10 or on the, on the day. So no, Billy, Billy's staying. I don't see him not staying um, because of that performance. Mm. Okay, Billy will stay. That is the official position of the Rugby Bits podcast. So let's just quickly review the other three rugby championship teams. Let's start with, um, let's go from the bottom to the top, Argentina. Um, I think positive they this is probably their most successful rugby championship campaign with two wins they obviously won away in New Zealand which was a big game they came back and won against Australia and absolutely spanked them in that second test in Argentina probably would have they're probably kicking themselves thinking they probably could have snuck a win against South Africa they had two opportunities in both test matches to to do that mm. but I think yeah I would probably give them a seven out of ten for for this um for this campaign. What do you think Michael Cech has changed? So I think Cech's, uh, I listened to, uh, he was interviewed, I'll find it. Um, he was on a podcast and he, what he spoke about was brilliant. But I, I think, I think Cech's has done really well. I think he's changed the balance there a little bit. I think he's got a little bit of structure and he's allowed a little bit of the, uh, um, the Argentinian flavor to come through. But what also the thing he's done is he, um, publicly so, um, played with players for two weeks and then sent a whole bunch of guys back to Europe and then went with a separate squad to New Zealand and still got a win. So after that performance against Australia, he sent like five players back to their club. And I was like, oh, well, that's kind of defeats the object. And then he still went and, and earned a win. So he slowly just, and or should I say not slowly, but just casually um, building up quite a decent little squad there. And I think that he's definitely got the idea and the IQ to um, have that squad and horses for courses at going into the World Cup. And we know the Argentinians flip and love a World Cup. So um, they uh, 7 out of 10 is great, and I think they can grow. Okay, very quick fire questions. Player for the series for Argentina? Oh, Gonzalez. Um, how old yes. is he? How old is he? 20? I think 11. Yeah. I think he's like 22. True, probably, and 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 and, yeah, he, I, and he packed down, and he was like, "Cool, I'm just going to take this test jersey and make it my own." Thanks very much. Ne- never out of place. Never out of place yeah. in test rugby. 
He's turning 22 this year. Yes. I think what's impressive about him mostly is just his motor. Like, he yeah. is legitimately everywhere on the field. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, he'll be there on the wing. He'll be chasing down a kick. He'll be making a turnover. Like, he's just been so good. And, yeah, most concerning part of the, for the Pumas, I would say their scrum and their tight five. Or mostly their front row. Like, the props. Yeah, they need some depth at prop because it, it does get a bit wonky after after like basically the first choice props. Yes, um, but looking at the World Cup, I think they'll have enough gap between games, less travel, less disruption. I think they'll they'll be okay. But I think that is a little bit of a an Achilles heel for them. Um, um, and I I think their discipline. You've got to try and somehow stop the red mist you've got to keep the mm. anger but not you've got to not have the red mist and i think if you can get that balance they'll be dangerous let's move to the wallabies they also won only two matches in the rugby championship they were third in the log though they got one more point than the argentinians one against um, the springboks in adelaide and against argentina in the first test match rugby championship had a moment where they looked like they could actually be maybe sneaky favorites to win it mm. um, after in halfway through because they had um, home games, two home games to go. But yeah, things fell apart for them. They got thrashed by the Springboks uh, in, in Sydney. They almost, I mean, yeah, we haven't really had a podcast to discuss the Bledisloe Cup one and what happened there, but we all know what happened in the drama in the last minute. And then they just got pasted by the All Blacks um, at Eden Park. Rating out of 10, it's difficult because there's a lot of um, extenuating circumstance with the injuries they have. I think I saw a tweet saying they've had 28 injuries to their squad players during the course of the season. And of course, yeah, they've gone like second, third choice options in certain positions. But in saying that, it's just that it's one good performance and one terrible performance and one good performance, one terrible performance. There's just, I think Australia's issue, and that's my concerning thing for them is they need to find a way for their bad moments in a game or bad performances to be at least better than like absolute what ha- like is this an under 12 team mm, they mm. need to just be just hold yeah keep the water and, and like just not let the whole house flood when you're having a bad moment because when they have a bad 20 minutes in the game they concede 20 points and they have like three yellow cards mm. so there needs to be a bit of a balance between look at this attack best attack in the world and they're scoring tries and they're braving it out versus oh my word they've just conceded 40 points and half their team is in the sin bin yeah yeah mm, I, I think i would probably also rate them about a, a six just mm. slightly below the spring box i think there were more positives out of the spring box but the 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 positives the, the aussies can take is their massive injury list another thing i find out is james o'connor is actually injured by the way so mm. yeah so Jeez. they he he was replaced in the squad, but then he went to go play club rugby in the semifinals and then hurt his Achilles. So wasn't able to come back when they when they needed him, which was silly on the you don't let well, you've got a fly off crisis, you don't let no matter what form he is, you don't let him go play club rugby, you keep him. Mm. But anyway. Um yeah, I go just below the books, like a six ish. Yeah. It's tough, man. I I like I really, and I think we're on the same page. I think we both are still team Rennie. We still, we see the development, but they just need, yeah, they just need a, like a, some months or games together where they can just build things. And pro- probably the, the World Cup will be the best 
opportunity for them. There won't be players lost to the Japanese clubs. Hopefully everyone will be fit. There'll be gaps in between games and then they can build on momentum and hopefully start stringing performances together because mm. it seems like every time you think, okay, the Wallabies are now back. They've established Test Rugby. Everyone's going to come back and flock back to watch the Wallabies and rugby is going to be reestablished as the number one sport. They follow that performance up with a stinker. Like, mm. yeah, they, they probably should have capitalized more on some of those wins because this is, yeah, shame. I, I feel really sorry for the Australian fans. There's just so much frustration and like almost with this team. Yeah. But the, it's not the end of the line for him because of the injuries. They've got so much mm. still to do. So there's a hell of a lot more that they can offer, which I think is probably the most exciting part. Are your um, player for the Wallabies? Nick White. Nick White. I'll go Rob Valentini. I think both are, and, are, and, are valid. And, 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 and Pete Samu. Oh, yeah. I think Pete Samu, for someone that was, was set up to be a bench flanker, has forced his way into the starting lineup and then performed. Pete mm. Samu and, and Nick White, for me, I, I, I mean, it's no, it's no secret, but I, I, I rate him highly. I think he's incredible. And regardless of, of, of his antics and his chirping, he's a scrum off, he's supposed to chirp. But I think Nick White, <laughs> they need him. They need him more than, than most players. But Pete Samu, I'm going to change it. Pete Samu was the player of the, tour- of the tournament for Australians. Yeah. It's going to force some tough conversations between Samu and um, Michael Hooper, but that's another conversation for another day. Let's move to the, the rugby championship winners, the All Blacks. They have won with the worst team in history, the one that we buried a few weeks ago. <laughs> they were gone. Foster was gone. Everyone was going to get fired. They would stop rugby in New Zealand. They would, you know, just go into like, you know, bricklaying and plumbing i don't know and they've somehow won the rugby championship sean yeah how what happened <laughs> well they they were always capable of putting putting stuff together and um by and 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 we let them the the south africans mm-hmm. um the australians and the Argent well the argentinians held up the end of the bargain to be fair but um australia could have got a win another win, and we could have got a win. So the All Blacks, and congratulations to the All Blacks. Uh, they've done well. Yeah. They, won, they won all the trophies. They got the, they've got the trophy, was it the Mandela Cup between South Africa and New Zealand? They got the Bledisloe Cup? Freedom Cup. Sorry, the Freedom Cup, my bad. Um, the Mandela yeah. Cups between South Africa and Australia, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, so they got the Freedom Cup, they got the Bledisloe Cup, and they got the Rugby Championship win. So they won mm. everything that they could possibly win. So, like, you know, they, they've... they've They've done bloody well. And South Africa, we, we slipped up um, by not beating them. And then the Wallabies slipped up. And that changes everything. That, if, mm-hmm. if they lose the Bledisloe Cup and we win the rugby championship, Foster's gone. I don't care how much NZRU said they were keeping him until the end of the World Cup. Um, but, um, but yeah, they did, they, they did well. They fought back through adversity. They... They made changes. They made mistakes. They had glimpses of good games. They brought things back. I, I was super impressed with it. That's that's the whole thing about being part of a team. You know, when the chips are down, you you band together. Yeah, and you know, yeah, big credit to Foster and um, Josh Schmidt and the, and the team for that. Like they really were able to band together. I thought that maybe, yeah, I, I thought that you know, like especially after the Argentine Argentinian loss. 
there there would be maybe a, a bit of confidence shaken and maybe they would you know, still drop another game. But, you know, they still showed that they still have that instinct that all the best New Zealand teams have um, in that fifth game against Australia where they, you know, were able to execute and, and, and score a match-winning try. And, you know, that's been a... a a feature of, you know, the New Zealand teams of the 2010s that they could, if you give them an opportunity to win a game at the death, they'll take it with both hands. So that's, I think, a big positive that they're still able to do that um, even if they're not playing their best rugby. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, I, I think the, the the turnaround has just been that they've, yeah, they've, they've got a bit more, uh, there seems to be a bit more of a game plan and they just try as hard as possible to work on on, on that game plan. And, Squid Rugby, as obviously he's, uh, we all know about Squid Rugby, his video on the Bledisloe Cup 1 game is great because it also shows that New Zealand, almost like they do, they focus on one thing that the opponents don't do well and they focus on that um, as the base of their game plan for the weekend. And maybe just simplifying things and bringing someone like Schmidt there as a tactician, that's, that's probably helped them a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, player of the tournament for the All Blacks? Um, I know um, on the breakdown they picked Takiyaho, but for me, it's Jordy Barrett. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good pick there. Yeah, I, um, I think um, finally we get to see him at 12. So many people, Jared is one <laughs> of them, has been banging on about him playing at 12. Um, but he's a genuine, genuine contender to to be their first choice 12 or a realistic option at 12. And that will light have Moanga, Geordie and Bowden on the field at the same time. And Bowden's playing bloody well at 15. So you're really not losing anything. But I think geordie has been really solid. He's been really um, impressive. Um, and I think between him and Takiyaho, they were most certainly the players of the tournament for the, um, the All Blacks. Yeah, I'll go with Adi Sevilla, um, just because he hasn't been mentioned yet. Yeah, I think he's <laughs> might. Yeah, I, I, because I, I, I think I tweeted last week that he's not my. I don't think he's the best eighth man in the world, but I do think he's the best forward in the world, mm. which is a bit confusing. Mm. But just as like his general skills are just absolutely brilliant, and he wills the team to a win sometimes, and he's just able to with his leg drive just get so much so many meters after contact we all know about his skills and and what he brings to the field but i think the fact that he's still you know his head wasn't one of the heads that dropped when new zealand was playing badly he was still the one person and one of the few players on the field that seemed to be performing and when new zealand's playing well he's obviously still one of the people that are ahead of the pack as well so i think that's a that's a big um uh, positive for him a shout out just to anger you a shout out to Rico Ioani I think he's had a really good rugby championship um, he's a flat track bully man <laughs> so we now flat track teams <laughs> no he's a flat track bully he he performs when they win by plenty and that's just purely because he's got so much pace now I'm, <laughs> I, I, I started supporting him a little bit and then I Probably had a look at some games and I'm like, nah, nah, I don't <laughs> think so. Yeah. Look, I think you're right though. Like a lot of what he does is covered by his pace. So if he's has a bad is he if his positioning is bad, he can always fix it with 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 pace. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I just and think then, if he was a better 13, I think the all blacks 
would be would have probably scored another five six goals. Mm. Yeah, I think they got maybe even stopped two or three as well. And then the thing that they need to yeah, your concern for them. I think they're starting to, through this chaos, is they're now getting to a point where they are struggling to play certain players. So mm. everyone think Rico didn't have a bad tournament. Um, I still don't think, I mean, I've spoken about it, so I'm not going to get onto it again. But they're, they're, he's been the most consistent, so he stays. And then they're trying to figure out what's happening at 12, but they can put Jordy there. 10 is pretty much sewn up, but where do you put Bowden? Um, so Bowden starts at 15. Does Jordy play on the wing? Um, what's happening to um, Jordan? Um, you know, there, there's a few things that are that are up in the air. The loose trio is also a little bit weird. Um, this mm. weekend, um, I know they won and they won comfortably, but Akira Iwani, like I don't think I heard his name until the second half. It's so weird that they do so well and one of their flankers doesn't, doesn't perform, you know? Mm. So very interesting. Like, so they're they're in a tough space, but I think they really need to just go down to the basics, be really simple. Sort everything else is natural to them; it's in their DNA. Um, it's yeah. how they've played rugby forever. So if they can just sort out the basics, they'll they'll do fine. And I mean, hats off to to the 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 All Black Pack for performing and getting such a big win without Sam Kane and what seemed like an anonymous Akira Iwani. Huh? <laughs> I don't mean yeah, that in a bad I way. I mean he he just he was obviously doing work, but he just wasn't his usual stuff, and his numbers mm. weren't fantastic. So it was quite he was obviously there was a plan. Yeah, I think I yeah I'm, I I fully agree with you. I think basically the biggest problem is the whole like trying to fit all the stars into the team um, issue that they've had for the past two years as well. But that you do that just when need... you're under pressure, you know. You're like, yeah. I have to play this guy. Well, let's play him out of position because I have to play him. So when you're yeah. under pressure, you start compromising a few things. And the problem is that all these rolls of the dice have worked in some ways, and now you're almost married to them. So now you're married to Jordi at 12, and I'm not saying he's not going to be a great 12, but you know, you're know you compromising on things at 15 with um, Bowden Barrett. He's not as good defensively. With Walt Jordan, he's not as good defensively as well. He doesn't have the boot that um, uh, Jordi has. You compromise with your 13, with Rico. You compromise to an extent with your props. I mean, Ethan De, De Groot, I think, had a really good tournament, but Lomax he's just too. not as disciplined and as, like, just, a, a, you know, a, a grafter, like someone like maybe, you know, if Joe Moody can turn back the clock or um, Ofatunga Fassi can come back. So now you've got these solutions that you're stuck to because they're the players that performed. That, it seems like Ian Foster's just been really fortunate in some ways because a lot of his rolls of the dice and having to pick players because people were injured, they all worked out for him during the rugby championship. And, you know, I think someone like Shannon Frizzell or Tyrell Lomax, um, Samasani Takiaho, okay, I think that was pretty obvious. But those things have all worked out for him. And now when the other injured players come back and, yeah, you have to now pick players and pick teams, I'm hoping he does still pick um, the players that make sense together rather than just picking players because, you know, you were good or you're a star, so we'll just have to fit you in. So I think that'll be the the big challenge for, for them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that is the rugby championship. And we will just finish up very quickly with just looking at 
DRC because we haven't really talked about it um, the past few weeks. So I think let's just do it on some quick fire talking points. Sean, we've had basically two weeks for most teams. The Sharks and Stormers only played their first games this weekend. Um, what's the mo- who's the most pre- um, impressive team from the South African teams in the URC so far? Oh, I probably from the South African the Lions, definitely the Lions. Mm-hmm. They've they've um, they snuck a win um, in Swansea this week. They've been pretty impressive. The Bulls were a little bit shaky. Um, the Stormers have only played one game. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and the Sharks were shaky in their first game. So um, uh, the Lions most certainly the the informed South African side, ironically. Mm. Yeah, I I don't I, I don't mind that at all, and that's a really good um, Ospreys team they beat. You know, you have Adam Beard, Alan Wynn Jones, and George North in that team. So it's Justin Tiprek also made his comeback. So you're not playing with um, you know mm. mugs mm. at all, and they then they beat them away from home, and I think. Yeah, that's a bit scary for the rest of the URC. If the Lions are able to beat one of the better Welsh teams, like that's not really good for the rest of them. I'm going to go for the Stormers, though, even though they've played one game. I think their performance against Connacht was just brilliant. And some of the, like, I didn't watch the full game yet, but just the attack and the tries that they scored were just absolutely amazing. They definitely haven't got a second-year syndrome at all from on that basis. And yeah, I think... It'll be important for the Stormers to pick up wins now because um, they will, yeah, they they obviously don't have their Springboks and they've obviously lost more players than they would have last year. So this this now this um, iteration of the Stormers with you know someone like Ali for Mark getting big minutes or Adams van Rijn or um, Dan Duplessis, those players need to just keep things going and try to win as many games as possible so that the Stormers can be up there near the top of the log in the business end of the tournament. So yeah, good good win from them. And then with um the rest of the URC, what has been a more surprising development? Has it been A, Glasgow beating Cardiff 52 points to 14, or B, Munster just looking rubbish <laughs> the last two weeks? So yeah, my, my A and B were actually um Zebra and Munster. Uh, yeah. I um, actually as soon as I stopped, I was like, yes. I should have added Zebra uh, as C. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's add them as C. I think those yeah. three are, are good, but I think the big thing about B and C with Munster and Zebra is the fact that Munster and Zebra have both, it's been a two-week uh, thing. So Zebra played mm-hmm. well for two weeks in a row against big sides, um, and Munster have lost two weeks in a row, which I never saw coming. I actually um, I watched the game um, and uh, the the Munster game, and I was super surprised. They had opportunity in the start of the second half. They were fifteen nil down, managed to crawl back fourteen fifteen at half time, and just didn't kick on in the second half, and just allowed Dragons to be in it. Massive win for Dragons, first home win um, since twenty twenty, if I'm not mistaken. So um, <laughs> yeah. it's huge. Um, huge for them. Um, they're having issues with their director of rugby at the moment, Dean Ryan. He wasn't at the game. There's all sorts of shit going on. Um, did you? Sorry, did you see that interview he had in the after the first game? Yeah, uh, no, I actually didn't. But um, I, I was told about it, and he basically <laughs> just said these oaks are cuck. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. 
And then, and then when they asked about him on Saturday at the halftime or after the game, and they were like, we're not willing to comment on it. So there's some serious shit going on. Anyway, needless to say, it's unlikely we see Dean Ryan back for the Dragons. Um, but, yeah, so the players clearly said we can do it. So a massive result for them. But we're in for a great – there's been some good results in this tournament so far. We're in for some, some spicy weeks ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I think – Munster, yeah, they have a lot of problems, but yeah, you can follow um, at Three Red Kings. Um, obviously, he's probably the biggest Munster fan on Twitter. Some of it is new game plan. They're trying to bed it, bed it in and the players not understanding, but some of it is just, yeah, like basics are just falling apart and they'll need to fix that very quickly because there's a on this path, they're not going to qualify for the Champions Cup. And I think for Munster, that should be the goal for the year is just get to the top eight. Like anything else is a bonus. Uh, and it's not looking good at the moment. Um, Zebra, good. Yeah. I mean, you play Leinster and the Sharks and you get <laughs> you you get a, a losing bonus point in both. So, you know, two. that's, I think that's great got... work from them. Uh, oh, yeah. two from I the Sharks game. Did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because they scored more than four tries. So, yeah, I think that's that's really good work for them. And hopefully that's means um yeah more competition in this um urc because i mean if zebra is competing if the dragons can get have got a win um if benetton can also because they did pretty well against them glasgow as well in the first week you know we we have a competition on our hands now my last question urc related is in terms of we're taking out the second teams in terms of the the big irish teams who's the bigger threat is it still Leinster or is Ulster maybe a bigger threat than Leinster? Oh, you, I tell you, you can't not vote. You can't not say Leinster just because they're <laughs> Leinster. Like we all know what they can produce, but we've also seen them. You know, they've got a, a point to prove this season after last season. Yeah. So uh, very interesting. But I, I tell you one thing. Um, the the answer will be the question. The answer to your question will be will be sorted out um, this weekend when Ulster and Leinster play each other. But yes. I tell you, Ulster very very quietly going about their business and doing it bloody well at the moment, and uh, mm. they're looking to put their hand up because I think everyone's focused on Munster and obviously Leinster, um, and uh, Ulster have gone well. Hang on, we're still here, so we'll just show you with a few results and we'll keep talking for the pitch. Yeah, I my hot take is I think Ulster is going to win the rugby. I mean the rugby championship, the URC this oh, season. Really, I I really like them for the for the URC. I think they were quite unlucky last year. Of course, we know that they lost literally at the last second in the semi final. They've got a really good squad. Um, you know them. The Champions Cup doesn't mean that. I mean, obviously they'd like to win it, but it's not like a big thing. It's not like a big focus if they get knocked out in the last 16 or last eight. Um, so they'll probably fall out of that early. So I can see that if they fall out of that in February, March, let's say in March, April, then they have, they can sort of do a build a run like um, mm. Stormers did in a sense and, mm. and just win games and just be consistent and lengthen the Stormers maybe are in the later stages of the, of the Champions Cup and then also can be the ones that benefit from it. I love Nick Timoney. I think he's obviously just such a fantastic player. Stuart McCloskey has had the most brilliant start. I think every clip I've seen of the URC the last two weeks has been of him. And yeah, I think he, especially if Bandiaki's 
trying to injure players in rucks like he did to Sanatla. Like Bukowski could be a player that maybe becomes you know, part of the Irish reckoning very soon. So, yeah, I, I am a big John Cooney fan. I'm a big Billy Burns fan. I think, yeah, there's enough there. Don't have the depth of Leinster, of course, but I think that circumstance will fall in the right place for them. Not even Marty's have the depth of Leinster, and they're the biggest rugby club in the world. So, <laughs> like, let's be honest here. But a great shout on Cooney. Um, he's uh, also very quietly just saying, listen, I'm still very much in the running for uh, an Irish jersey. Um, mm. You know, I, I thought that he missed out a few recalls to the Irish setup when he was on form. So maybe he's doing it at the right time now. Murray is is not as he did have a dip, but he seems okay. So um, I think Ireland are pretty handy. Obviously, they've got Gibson Park as well. So their three their three scrum offs are, are are very handy if they go with with Cooney. Um, Gibson, what they add Cooney to the mix, so yeah, so we'll see what goes on there. But I wouldn't mind him. But he, I mean, what he scored 20 points this weekend and made two tries or three mm. passes, so yeah, that's a bloody good haul, eh? Your crazy game. Then, just one quick, two quick things about the premiership and the top 14. Um, premiership quick fire question is craziest result of the weekend. So, you've got all of these games have just been crazy high scoring. You've got Wasp beating Bath 39 points to 31. You've got Bristol beating London Irish to 40 points to 36. Leicester Tigers, who were like behind in the fourth quarter, like 17, 21 behind, they won against Northampton 41 points to 21. Saracens also um, came back in the last minute and won with a final kick from Owen Farrell, 41 points to 39. Worcester, who have now been kicked out of the, the premiership because they're in administration, won 39 points to five. And then the we were talking about it before the podcast, but Exeter winning in the last minute against Harlequins, 43 points to 42. And I saw a stat that said this is the first time since, I think, 10 years ago in the early 2010s where a team that was 25 points behind then overturned that deficit only to lose that match. Yeah. I mean, Exeter was 31-7 up at half time. Like, mm. how many times I've looked at Harlequins and gone, yes, Oaks, that's way too, that's, that hill's way too high to climb. Sorry, man, that's, <laughs> that's just poor. Then, I mean, I, like I said, I was watching the Dragons game and then I just, I was keeping an eye on the, res, on the score and Quins go and then they take the lead and I'm like, well, there's no way back. Like, that's it. That's the game. You don't beat, you don't beat Quins when they come back and then go ahead. They've got you, you know, you're, you're in you're in the in the depth of the like in the dungeon that you've got, and then to see the results uh, at the end and Exeter, it's very I wouldn't say it's very unlike Exeter, but Exeter are not like that, and for them to go and win it like that is flipping incredible. That I mean that has to be the game of the weekend. It has to be that one or or Saracens for me. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, big crazy. wins and yeah, big wins for Wasps and Worcester were going through obviously some big so financial Worcester, challenges. So Worcester, let's let's just be said, the Worcester lads mm. and it's so shit. But I mean, that was their last game at six ways. It was their last game at home. Yeah. And they went and beat Newcastle 39-5. Like that's a proper result. And the five, yeah. the try that Newcastle scored was in the first half. So they kept them scoreless in the second half. That's mm. yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, and all the best to yeah everyone that works there. Like obviously, a lot of jobs are lost. 
in a situation like that. So mm. really all the best to them and hopefully they can all land back on their feet. It's not just the rugby team. It's like administrative staff. It's grounds people. Apparently the grounds, groundsmen and their family stay at six ways. Oh, um, no. So they literally lose their place. Yeah. So it's, yeah, man, it's really, 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 really sad. Um, this sort of situations and like, this is the obviously the other side of professionalizing rugby that you these situations happen. Um, but yeah, hopefully all of them can land back on their feet, and the administration process can yeah find some solutions and get Worcester um, back um, into yeah into rugby somehow. And yeah, wasps yeah all the best for them as well because they look like they're staring down down the barrel as well. So yeah, big issues in English rugby at the moment. Then yeah, finally the top fourteen. There's three teams at the top. And probably the three best teams in the top fourteen. So, who's your pick between Toulouse, Montpellier, and La Rochelle? Your at least going forward. Yeah, I, I tell you, um, Toulouse probably for me because they they stuttered a little bit last year. Um, they, yeah, they. I, I think I think Toulouse for me probably the. The runners at the moment, but Montpellier very quietly going about their business, though. Eh? Mm. I think it's a. I mean, uh, they've obviously got they made a big acquisition in in Flauf with um Carbonal, right? And yeah, now playing Garbisi at twelve, which I think is a great idea because there's a lot of like Farrell and Pollard in in Paulo Garbisi's game. Yeah, I mean they've got all the 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 ingredients to to make a big run. Um. They still have um, Paul Willemser to welcome back into that team as well. Uh, Zach Mercer just won um, player of the top 14. So, yeah, all things are going well for them. So I, I, can't, I can't, yeah, I can see them competing. Massive win for Bayonne this weekend as well. Bayonne beating mm. Bordeaux, that's also huge. I mean, Bayonne, have, uh, I think that's their second win already this season yeah so. Bordeaux is in a bit of a crisis eh they it doesn't things are not going well there yes yes and you know a little uh, it's so weird that we said each time but uh but Cust are I mean they're lying eight at the moment but they're always uh <laughs> they're always in the mix eh <laughs> they, yeah they they'll be top due, six yeah they're always due a late uh, uh I mean they're twice twice when they won the league or the one time I know for a fact when they won the league they managed to just creep into the knockout places on the final day and then went on to go and win the whole tournament uh, in the knockout stages. So, you know, they, they, they're, the, they're the dogs you don't ever want to play. So, but they're in the mix, man. They're in the mix. Uh, I, I'm literally booking their place in the top six. Like, you just know that Gus will find a way in there. They'll bloody someone's nose and probably get into the semifinals. Like, that's just the way that they, they go about things, like you've said. Sean, yeah. last, lastly, any, uh, I have a quick mini, I don't think we've done this in a while, but a quick um, rugby shout out. And this is more just pointing people to something, which is an article written by Alan Dymock. I hope I'm saying your name right. He's a writer for Rugby World and he wrote about the Stormers and just their rise from being almost, well, being themselves in administration and so the SA Rugby taking them over at the start of the season to winning the URC and the circumstances around that. And great insight from like John Dobson. He talks about the Stormers not being able to afford food um, being on tour. So they had to buy McDonald's for like four or three what? or four nights in a row in order to get things through. They could only tour with 23 players. So then if someone was sick on Friday, 
they weren't able to play. So they had 22 players in the squad. So an insane circumstance for a team that literally then wins <laughs> the URC um, in the same year, which, yeah. So I think that's a great story to look out for. So Alan Dymock, I'll definitely retweet it on the Rugby Bits um, platform Sheesh. as well. That's amazing. I look forward to reading that. Um, my shout-out goes to Sibella Sinatla. Um, we, uh, uh, we found out, I found out today but that he's going to be out for a, a few months, mm. um, which oh, so unfortunate. sucks because he, uh, how he played last year, he, he, his transition into 15s has been a, 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 a tough one. I think it's been a little bit up and down. He managed to grasp it last year in in a way that was like we were all seeing um, and uh, played really well. And I was so super pumped to watch him this year. Um, I definitely think that he was in with a shot to get a Springbok call up somewhere along the line, especially with November and um, next year ahead of the World Cup. Um, and I was just, um, yeah, really bummed that he's out. So I hope he wishing him a, a super fast and, and 100% recovery. And my other one yeah. is to all the women's sides which are making their way to New Zealand for the World Cup, which starts on the 8th of October. So the Women's yes. World Cup. Um, our South African side, we the highest we've ever been ranked. Um, we've come off a couple of great results. Our squad's looking good. Um, yeah, I am super excited. Our first game's at like 3 o'clock in the morning, but after the rugby championship, we were at least trained at getting up early in the morning. So getting up to watch the women play um, in their first game in the World Cup. Uh, yeah, so we'll definitely chat about them next week. But uh, I know that they're making their way over and everyone's there uh, or going to be there soon. And I'm super pumped. So my shout-out goes to them. Yeah, very exciting rugby to come up with, with the Women's World Cup starting in at the 8th of October, like you said. Yeah, and all the teams are... <laughs> Some nice content as well of the teams like in New Zealand and 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 getting themselves ready. So there'll be some a festival of rugby to look forward to as well. But yeah, that is the end of an epic um episode of the Rugby Bits podcast. Thank you so much. I'm sure you can you can divide into quarters even, but yeah, you can <laughs> definitely have this big meal and it'll sustain you for the next few days. Um Sean, thanks so much for joining. Um yeah, unfortunately your load sharing schedule was the one that <laughs> enabled you to join at this time. But yeah, um, to our Dirt Trackers, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support. Um, please go onto the Rugby Bits um, page and um, and follow us. Please go to bet.co.za, like them, start an account with them if, if sports betting is your thing. And we will see you in the next podcast. Cheers, guys.